Warning, the following podcast contains spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. Viewer discretion is advised. And now, your feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Conversation. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved eric marchin oh that's actually uncle eric <laughs> man i'm so excited to do this so yes this is our spider-man no way home spoiler cast so you probably saw a little warning at the beginning or heard a warning at the beginning of this video um we are going to completely spoil everything in this movie so i just want to get that off right off the bat give people time if they go oh shit i clicked on the wrong thing i haven't Uh-oh. seen the movie yet <laughs> um <laughs> i love it um and back out now because i really do think that uh you should experience this movie uh, as spoiler free as as possible if you want a completely spoiler free review uh we do have that head over to the untitled movie reviews channel we did 40 minutes of spoiler free conversation uh which you know uh I've heard from people was a great conversation that did not spoil anything. So, which I'm very proud of when someone comes to us and says that, uh, because, uh, I think Eric and I very eloquently, uh, put our thoughts, uh, into a, a podcast without giving away anything that wasn't in the promotional material. But on this show, uh, we're going to go all in. We're going to talk about every spoiler, um, as it's out now, in the UK, as we're recording this, it's coming out in North America tomorrow night. Uh, so I'm hoping you're coming back after you've seen the movie and you're riding off that high uh, that we did. And I'm so excited to talk to uh, Eric about every little detail. We won't kind of retread what we thought about the movie. We both really, really, really loved it. Um, uh, and you can go back and listen to that other review if you want that. This I just want to talk about, you know the biggest reveals kind of where we think the franchise is going to go after this uh, and just kind of elaborate on some of the things we talked about in our review, uh, but now can reference maybe something we were referencing, but had to kind of be, you know, cheeky and and dance around it in the normal review. So without that, with that being said, um, can can I kick it off? Yeah. Let's do okay. Okay. In terms of a death. Spoilers. Spoilers are starting in three, two, one. Now, where do you want to kick it off? There's a death. There's a death in this movie. Yeah. I just want. I just want to prompt it by saying it's gonna be May. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I mean, that's a huge thing. I think we got to kick it off. We'll get to that, Eric. But I think I just wanted to do that. um, I just thought of that. I think the biggest thing is they did it. They the other Spidermans are in the movie, and I mean. Probably unsurprising to a lot of, you know, fans that are, you know, in the rumors and, and casting and reading about the MCU all the time. Or John Everyone Campia's had, website. God damn it. Um, we'll get into that too. But um, yeah, it's been out there for a while that they are in this movie. I'm so happy that Sony and Marvel Studios held back and let that reveal happen in the theater, even if, you know, a good amount of people who are hardcore fans probably knew that they were going to be in this movie. I love that they never officially confirmed it. Yes. If you were searching hard enough, you could find probably the majority of the spoilers for this movie. Uh, I thought something tumbled over. Okay, great. Um, And so they're in it. Uh, You get Toby, you get Andrew. I'm wearing my tick, tick, boom uh, sweater to celebrate. Um, 
And I mean, to kick it off there, what a sight and what an awesome thing to see is those three guys kind of interacting and, and their reveal um, coming from Ned using a sling ring at his grandma's house and just Andrew walking through and then Toby walking through. I'm like, I can't wait to watch this um, with kind of a crowd because I've already seen leaks happen on YouTube and, and things like that and people going nuts. And um, I really hope that it wasn't spoiled for you as you're listening to this because um, as Eric and I mentioned, like this movie feels like a celebration of not only just this character, which I think is probably the most popular superhero maybe batman rivals him and maybe i'm biased because those are the two heroes that i loved the most growing up and eric i think you're in the same boat especially Um, with marvel like i think spider-man is kind of the the face of marvel ironically he's owned by sony but um which i think is amazing um well i mean but the amazing spider-man's in this yeah um and then we talked about just that redemption element and seeing these three guys in this movie and being able to reference the past, but also focus on the present and then look towards the future. Like this movie is so special of just being a celebration of Spider-Man and of superhero movies. And that whole last battle um, at the uh, Statue of Liberty with the three Spider-Man going up against all these villains. So I, I know I'm all over the place, but I think that's the biggest thing of, of having those three, you know, the history of Spider-Man on film, essentially uh, those three guys, um, three different generations, all interacting with one another, all having their movies not necessarily feel like, Oh, those don't matter anymore. Those were the, those are campy and old, those Sam Raimi movies. Like they were of their time. Um, They were fun, but like, you know, we saw the origins of where superhero movies were going, but if you go back and watch them, they don't hold up to some people. And then you get to the amazing Spider-Man movies and you're like, okay, Andrew Garfield was miscast. Those movies were messy and all over the place. They feel like they just were thrown together because Sony had to keep making Spider-Man movies to keep the rights. And, you know, we saw a hundred million reboots. And although Andrew Garfield, a great actor on paper, even sounds like a great Peter Parker um, but then the route that they took it with this cool Peter like didn't cool vibe for with a lot, of, a lot of people. And then you have this version of Spider-Man in these three movies, which we already talked about how this trilogy is, you know, it's very hard to stick the landing and that John Watts made three, it felt like completely unique, different tones, different feels movies. But then having those three generations come together and having Spider-Man generations is like, it was so cool to just see those three guys interact and and it feel like i can't believe like you're watching it and you can't believe it's happening but it actually works and they explain it and it's because of the world building that the mcu's done over um 10 years you kind of buy into this multiverse thing that they've been planting these seeds and that you're totally okay with these you know other spider-men coming in and all interacting with one another so um it just it's wild and i don't know what you want to take from that eric or where you want to go from uh to talk about well just to mention as well like you know you mentioned you know 10 years worth of mcu material but then you also on top of that have almost 20 years of just you know spider-man and marvel i mean even the statue of liberty sequence is basically the final set piece in the first from x-men, X-Men movie yeah. you know and sort of its reference um and then you know, going back to the Raimi Spider-Man movies, you know, he came from a horror background as a director. And so 
his stuff kind of always was teetering on sort of genre with with tone when it came to both slapstick and horror elements especially in part two where i think Raimi really found his footing um and was in complete control of the universe that he was creating with toby Maguire and with alfred molina and and um obviously the third movie has a lot of problems uh but it's also just interesting to look at the problems with those movies being embraced to some degree with, you know, Sandman being incorporated, but even, you know, with the amazing Spider-Man movies, you have, which were a failure. Let's like not dance around it. And and Garfield was, and still is, I think a huge fan of the character and was so disappointed with where the Mark Webb movies went and he's even been very candid about it in, in conversations afterwards. I remember he did, there's this interview that keeps going around online that he did with Amy Adams, um, actor on actor of variety when he was talking about or doing interviews for Hacksaw Ridge and she was there for arrival. And he talked about how it was basically just to your point, Sony making those movies to keep the rights to them. There was no artistry or interest in sort of creating anything that was remotely character driven. It was just, you know, basically consumer product first and foremost to And weirdly it was kind of a um rebuttal to the MCU, right? Like they tried to kind of make a more MCU style kind of movie with the whole Peter's parents being spies and that whole weird subplot. And it just felt like they were trying to go, Oh shit, we need to kind of adapt to what these movies are. And not even just that you also had, you know, at at that point there was the, everything has to be dark. Everything has to be the dark night in terms of like that Christopher Nolan feel of, of realism, you know, the city streets, the grittiness of it all. And that doesn't translate with every single superhero character. It works for Batman, obviously, but Spider-Man's not Batman. You know, as, as but this as movie's we, we pretty dark, them. though. <laughs> oh, it is, but it's dark in a kind of melancholy kind yeah. of way, a sad kind of way. Maybe it's not, not brooding. But no, like... no, it's not. It's 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 not intense in that kind of you know anguish. It's more it's more emotional. Or it's more just, bittersweet uh, than anything yeah. else. And I and I think like this is the first time I've liked Andrew Garfield as Spider Man. And again, you know, taking in what you know about the performance previously, but also what he's talked about, you know, in sort of how he felt about the role and the performance and, and those two movies as well. I think that this is the, the, the first film he actually got to play the version of Spider-Man he always wanted to play. And mm. you can, and really I think there are that. elements of those in those other movies, but this feels like he was fully able to embrace it. And, and same with Toby, like, Again, yeah, I think he's the weakest actor of the three, and um, but it was just so kind of nice to see him as this elder statesman kind of Spider-Man, right? Because you have kind of the three different age groups, it almost feels like. Like Tom Holland still feels very young. Andrew Garfield, even when he was cast the first time, looked a little too old. And then Tobey Maguire almost looked too old when he was cast the first time too, and now looks even older. So um, I just think all of that works, all of their back and forth. I agree with you with the Andrew Garfield stuff. Like you saw bits and pieces of that, you know, in the two amazing movies, which I don't think are great. I don't mind the first one. The second one is just a trash fire, Um, which is, we'll get into Electro and stuff too, but 
They were um, going to say Electro. I was like, well, we're talking about Daredevil as well? Because um, we kind of are. I mean, we are. They're, Matt Murdock shows up in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, which was wild. And he's in one scene. Um, but, you know, a great week for Netflix Daredevil fans. Uh, I will say that. Um, and going back to it, like, those three guys and just feeling like they stepped right back into the costume and felt like they never missed a beat. And I know Garfield's movies weren't that long ago. And, and what I was saying, like there were bits and pieces where I'm like, man, he's so great that I feel like he did ha- nail some of those emotional moments. It's just the writing. And I think the filmmaking kind of got in the way and the way that they wrote that character, I feel like didn't completely work, but I feel like some of the times where he wasn't too cool, but he was just kind of awkward, cool, kind of thing like or just like uh snarky but like not an asshole when sometimes he was an asshole so he just never fully got the grasp of the character through the writing where here i feel like they take the best elements of both the raimi movies and the amazing movies and incorporate that into this you know final movie and the movie never gets away from you know tom holland's spider-man either which i think was really impressive like there's so much in this movie like there's uh doc ock green goblin electro the lizard sandman venom shows up in the post-credit scenes um and Which only we'll get the post-credit scene. I can't wait to talk about that scene because I literally yelled perfect at the end. Because um, I think that's just incredible what they did there. Um, and I just I, – I lost track of my point. But like I, I just think those There's three just guys – so many working parts going right. on within the film, right? By exactly. John Watts and the writers, uh, Eric Summers and, and Chris McKenna, are able to kind of keep everything going. And yeah, it, it is a long movie, even. And make it about Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Yeah, not but, but, also, but, but also, also, like, his relationship to those who are closest to him. I mean, an obvious sort of indicator that you can tell that there's something going to happen to Aunt May, whether or not you could predict that she was going to be killed off, is another thing entirely. But because she's because they more actually give her something to do, yeah, to the storyline <laughs> yes, exactly. this time around, yeah. and she's not just kind of like a side character that's bookending, you know, the the like the other yeah. two movies where like here she's actually prominently featured and, and has a storyline and you know character and kind development. Of, you, yeah. you see the influence that she has over Peter and and mm-hmm. and sort of you know who Peter aspires to be and 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 even Happy Hogan and and also like the idea that you know, both Ned and MJ are guilty by association because this movie picks up exactly where yeah. Far From Home left off. So I think that's what we should do. Let's just kind of go through it in chronological order and yeah. talk about it. So keep going. Sorry. But yeah, so so basically you have um, Spider-Man's true identity is exposed and everybody knows who he is. And from that, there are repercussions and the repercussions are both from the public and media point of view, and then also from this, the point of view of law, he's cleared of any wrongdoing when it comes to legality through the help of Matt Murdock, uh, played by Charlie Cox, who's brought back in uh, to the MCU. So, My question there, so if we pause there, yeah. is... Do you think that this is the Netflix Daredevil version of – because, I mean, they do show him with his powers because he grabs the brick that's thrown through the window and there's a cheeky line. But um, Or do you think that that's a multiverse story and then that Kingpin and that Daredevil is its own thing and this version 
is our MCU version. So the events of that show are canon or not canon, or I guess we'll just it's find such, out. It's such a strange, I mean, ultimately we'll have to find out and, and you don't want to make, I bet definitive... you they keep it. Cause if they're bringing in the actors from that show, and if you guys haven't watched Hawkeye this week, you should go watch it. Um, I just feel like, it, they must be like, yeah, everything in that, at least in Daredevil, maybe not Iron Fist and, and Jessica Jones quite yet or Luke um, Cage. Luke Cage. Um, but I guess they'll just kind of pick and choose. But I, right. I, it was cool to see him pop up and finally, you know, be brought into, you know, this version of the MCU. Yeah, but but also like in terms of if he's a multiverse version or the the like – you know, just, you know what I mean by like, is right. this a new version of the character still maybe exactly the same, but did the events of the show take place or is that, is the Netflix universe is it canon or not a different universe essentially? Right. Cause everything could be the exact same except the Netflix events didn't happen in this universe or whatever. Yeah. Cause but well, he's obviously, also, yeah. We should also state that this character is a part of this universe before the multiverse break even happens. So, yes. Like yeah. he's just a character like yeah. Aunt May references says, thanks Matt. And like, she seems like she had a, at least knew of him and things like that. So um, I don't know, maybe it's the same Matt Murdock from the show. Maybe it's a alternate version of the same character, but like or a curated just, version, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a little bit of, the show Colin version, a, and, B, yeah. yeah, and and maybe he's going to be more sort of smoothed out to kind of fit within the MCU, and and obviously like a big selling point of those Netflix series was that they were kind of like the harder R rated version of. Netflix. Oh yeah, Kingpin smashes a dude's face in with the right. door. So like, right? with like them joining the MCU, wherever they end up next, I don't think you're going to see them be that brutal it's not that the mcu doesn't they'll have be brutal they just moments, don't but show the door hitting the person's head or blood splattering everywhere yeah, right? or like, somebody being speared on a fence or yes, things like exactly. that like that those are the things they'll kind of they'll just do off screen and imply or imply yeah. that they're happening because the mcu can be brutal and violent and even this movie goes to those places but like but it's I'll never it's never punisher violent like that's the no, other no, no, thing no, no, as well no, like no. i'm thinking like like john bernthal's another guy oh, that God, they probably yeah. are thinking of bringing back in some capacity and it's like, okay, how do you bring back the Punisher? Especially because also he's very much associated with Spider-Man as well. So do um, you – my yeah. question, maybe you go back to Dare uh, – not Daredevil. I mean, yeah. But um, what they're going to do with Deadpool. Like is Deadpool going to be branded a Marvel Studios 20th Century Fox movie? Like that's that's what I – like and be R-rated. And then when De- Dare, uh, when fucking Deadpool – um, <laughs> shows up in MCU crossovers. Maybe he's PG 13, but when he's on his own, he's R and I'm not saying daredevil will go back to R rated. Maybe if he gets his own show or, or, um, or movie again, but I, I really just think Matt Murdock will be a guy kind of like the Hulk that probably just ends Pops up, up in other, popping up in other pieces. things rather than getting his own show again. Like I bet you the next time we see, Matt Murdock is She-Hulk. And then um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has like a pretty prominent or maybe not prominent, but a regular like guest role on that show. Right. Like, well, depending on how much it takes <sighs> place within the world of law. Right. And in courtroom drama style, which I think but it also might it be is. in Los Angeles, though. Right. Because in the She-Hulk, the new logo that came up that looks like those kind of cable network uh 
or basic cable kind of they'll find a way Matt. They'll, they'll find a way That's where it's true. like oh we need yeah. to bring in like an expert from new york to help out on yeah. this or something like like the like if they they'll make it work, they'll write some jargon that's bullshit. Yeah, and I wonder if there was life, more but... with Matt Murdock that they cut out because there's just so much in this movie. Like if there were court scenes or anything like that. But um, yeah, a cool way to get Peter, you know, out of the situation that he's in. Um, but then that leads to you know people who are associated with him also kind of um coming down with him so you know it, it compromises may it compromises uh mj and ned um and they're all kind of uh applying to college and MIT. so the movie kind of the movie kind of skips ahead a little bit so i, I loved how it opened because it was right off right at the end of uh far from home and you kind of get this really intense like uh, and one thing I'll talk about is like the different vibes of the Spider-Man movies and just kind of the MCU Spider-Man as a whole talking about the history. But like, you know, the other movies have really fun openings, like even after the events of Endgame and it being far from home, being a follow up of that movie. And, you know, you have major characters who died in that movie and it's somber and, and things like that. But it starts in a very comedic way with the um with the I will always love you song and the montage from the school kids and stuff. Um, well, the, the song first... that they play when, when um, Spider-Man and MJ are swinging through the streets is a talking head song. And it's yeah. very kind of peppy. And, mm-hmm. and even though like, yeah, like it's kind of because the, the it's swarm. chaotic a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And that's what I liked about it. And even the cinematography in that opening scene is like, Peter's trying to figure out what's happening and he's taking MJ and they have to go through the sewers and he's trying to find a way out of there. And then I I like that they kind of just uh, skip a bit and go, okay, that's all done with now. Everyone knows he's Spider-Man. Um, Matt Murdock got him out of criminal charges. Um, the guy from Succession shows up as one of the uh, uh, Department of uh, Control or Cleanup and Control agents. Um, he's in the last couple seasons of Succession. I got to get his name. Um, I forget. Um I'll find it in a bit, but um, I liked that cameo because we've been obsessed with succession and the season finale was uh, um, just the other day. Um, And then, so they all get rejected from MIT and then Peter starts to realize that like they got rejected from every school that they applied to. And because of their association with him, that their lives are also being ruined, which I think was kind of interesting. And, like having them know about him right away and it kind of being a little bit of a, we talked about this in our our review and had to dance around it, but like Spider-Man's always, you know, yes, he worked with the Avengers, but he's been a solo superhero. Right. And like, one not, thing that he's, of, not that he's antisocial either. No. It's just that he's always, he's worked alone, but he has been a team player. But when he works on his own or when he's trying to solve a problem to help somebody else, he never goes to the person and talks to them and says like, hey, he tries like, to do everything himself. Yeah. He takes it upon himself to basically shoulder. Almost because he doesn't want to bother else. anyone. Right. Yeah. Like it's almost like that kind of thing of like trying to do it yourself, wanting to help everyone, but never wanting to ask for help. But in and doing that's- that, that's like one of the things with, with this movie that I really like that like it's partly about second chances and redemptions, but it's also all also really about him not being afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I have liked in the MCU that they've done is like, 
the secret identity thing was, you know, in the MCU, not really a thing. Right. And even on Spider-Man, like they got rid of that pretty quickly with, you know, May finding out. And then with Ned finding out right away in the first film with MJ finding out in the second one, like, and I know that's, you know, in every Spider-Man movie, his, his girlfriend finds out and, you know, and may either knows but doesn't know or does find out and things like that his best friend always finds out but i like them all teaming up in this kind of movie and being like well next peter goes to dr strange and something you know i think after seeing this movie and talking with other people you talk about all these things and then you almost forget dr strange is in the movie like um i feel like everything you talk about is about the three spider-men and you know, the last battle and things like that. He's almost a plot device than anything else. He kind of is. So, and here's the kickoff to that is like, Peter goes to Dr. Strange. Um, I think this scene plays out so much better in the actual movie than it did in the trailer, because I felt like in the trailer, it was really, really clunky the way that they cut it to try to condense that conversation. And it was really weird where he's like, Oh, I'm not going to do it. Wink. I am going to do it. And I think that whole sequence, even though the Scooby-Doo line still doesn't land, it's not a good joke. Um, I I think that whole conversation with Dr. Strange finding out, um, Wong is the, the sorcerer Supreme, I think is really funny and really awesome because of the five, um, uh, yeah, because of the blip, uh, and Dr. Strange blipped that Wong becomes sorcerer Supreme and he's still sorcerer Supreme. So Dr. Strange is just kind of chilling there as Wong is this, uh, sorcerer Supreme, which makes sense of why Wong showed up in Shang-Chi as well. Right. In all of those sequences and um, and kind of had more control and and feel like he was the guy leading the show there. So I think that was really, really cool. Um, I still do think it's interesting that I while I say I think that scene played out better here than it did in the trailer, because the trailer just seems like he was like, OK, I'll do it. Like, well, here, people were even speculating is Doctor Strange like somebody else, like Samuel Jackson was a scroll. Where well, Nick Fury, I think not Samuel, J- yeah, Samuel Jackson was sure. a scroll. Um, and I don't know if you you agree, but I think it plays out a little bit better here. Where I still don't like the Doctor Strange stuff as a whole, I, especially at the end of the movie when we get there. I think you know is the cheat code, uh, the reboot point. But I feel like they've the MCU has earned it with how they've shown Doctor Strange's powers. You don't if you think a little bit too hard about it all, you kind of go like what are the extent of his powers? Like what can he actually change and do and things like that? But it's magic. So you kind of just go, it's magic. You let him kind of do whatever he wants if he can cast the spell. But also what the spell is or ultimately becomes, I think that's something I've been thinking about as well, because he Uh, says that people that knew who, who knew Spider-Man's true identity are being pulled into this universe. Yeah. And And so you're thinking to yourself, well, Okay, so why is it only these villains? Because, like, I mean, obviously there are, there are, there are reasons outside of the film that someone like James Franco as as Harry's not going to be in this. Mm-hmm. But Harry knew back at, at the same time as as uh, uh, Doc Ock. You but know? I think with the Venom scene, you could take it as, and why would Venom be pulled in? I guess because he. No, that doesn't make any sense. Why no. Venom would be pulled in? I think that's. I think so that's like, just a thing where Sony and 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 Marvel yeah. Studios just weren't on the same page. No, and I love how that plays out, and we'll get there. And you're making good points, and I think that's one of my because even Toby maybe, Grace's Venom, right? He finds out yeah. that that. that uh, oh, absolutely. Peter so, like, and, and as we go on, I think we should talk about that because I think that maybe is 
you know, talking about Doctor Strange right now and even him agreeing to do this spell seems like I know he might feel bad for Peter and what he's gone through and they went through a lot in the events of Infinity War and, and Endgame, but like it still seems like a stretch to me that Doctor Strange, I know it's it seems like a little bit of a stretch with the Doctor Strange who's kind of matured instead of, you know, the pompous asshole at the beginning who thought he could do everything. But then maybe there's a little bit of that Stephen Strange still in there. Who I still think that, he has a bit of an yeah. ego. And like yeah, he's and he knows he thinks I can off, do it. Right. But yeah. also kind of like like I think I, I think obviously him and Wong are, are, are friends, but I think there's like this kind of like. That he's oh, mad that he's not sorcerer supreme. Well, not even not even that, but like he like Wong is like the authority figure now. So Wong sure. says, "I don't know if you should do that. Just don't involve me. It's like, yeah. I'll show you. I'll do what I want." Yeah, yeah. And I get that. I get that. You know? you know, anyone who tells you not to do something, you're gonna go fuck you. I am gonna do yeah. it. And, and that's, like that's kind of. I mean, there. Even though, yeah, I agree with you as well that like Strange in in his first movie does mature quite a bit in in his origin story, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still impulses there that you know he's he's driven to compete against others and be number one and and again show off to younger generations and he's, that he's the most powerful avenger or something yeah. too right um so i think that's really interesting so strange ends up doing this spell and then as uh he's doing the spell peter kind of interjects uh three or four times being like because Doctor Strange goes, oh, I'm just going to erase the memory of everyone who knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then Peter goes, well, I want May to know and I want MJ to know and I want Ned to know. And like um, and kind of interjects a bunch of times, which, you know, fucks up uh, Doctor Strange's spell um, and ends up kind of breaking open the multiverse. And what we find out is uh, basically it sucks in um, which they reference later, which Eric just mentioned. Um, anyone who knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man in any universe, uh, it does really only pull in the people that they cast in the movie or they didn't bring back, uh, or that they did bring back. So you get who I already mentioned, you get Otto Octavius, you get Green Goblin, uh, from the Raimi verse, you get Electro and the Lizard from the Amazing verse. Oh, and you get Sandman from the Raimi verse. So you get all three basically main villains. It's me, Sandy from, Dennis. Essentially, you get all five main villains from the other universes, right? And Except I guess maybe for the Rhino. Yeah, you don't get Rhino and you don't get Venom. Uh, and you uh, don't get um, Dane DeHaan's um, Green Goblin. Green either. Goblin, yeah. yeah. So they do pick and choose and you get the quote-unquote main villain, I would say, from each movie, right? Yeah, and none um, of Holland's villains. And none of Holland's villains even come back at all. Like, aren't So there's no Sinister Six. Yeah, there's no Vulture, no Mysterio. I will talk about – did you notice Scorpion in the purple um, – did you notice all the yeah? I saw Rhino, and like, Ry- like Rhino, the, like the and, and Scorpion. Rhino, I saw yeah. and I saw the Scorpion from like the animated series or whatever outline. from like the nineties, yeah. um, the nineties, and I thought that was really cool. We'll get there. Essentially, sucks in all these villains, but we don't know what happened at this point. Uh, Peter runs to the uh, Queensboro Bridge to try to find the uh, administrator for um, MIT, like the the dean or something, I think. Yeah, because he's trying um, to appeal yeah. um, the rejection. And, and Doctor Strange makes a good point saying, like, you know, you can uh, appeal this. You don't oh, yeah. And he's like, like, you didn't fucking talk to anyone first? 
And then as a dumb kid, and I like that, that like, yeah. I really believe that this Peter Parker is in high school and stuff. Like, Even though he's extremely in, like, smart, yeah. he's still a teenager and teenagers go from one extreme to another. And this is him being like, it's almost okay, that book my, smart versus street smart. Kind yeah. Of thing. My world is ending. So I have to go with the most extreme solution I can possibly find. Yeah. Which I really, really love. Right. So he goes to uh, meet this uh, vice dean or vice president or something to try to really get Ned and MJ um, into the school. And Again, then very that, selfless in terms of what, he's yeah, which doing. I think is great. Um, and then you get the reveal of uh, Doc Ock, which um, we've seen in the trailers. I think it plays out yeah, super, super back. dope in here. Back yeah, again. it's like, I mean, probably the back. best Spider-Man villain um, yeah. easily. And uh, Alfred Molina, just the best. And then like even in this scene, I, I think uh, I thought it looked good. I know we were worried about the CG and stuff. Um, there is a lot the... of cutting, though. I did sure. notice that there's a lot... You, later on, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Willem Dafoe, where I think it's quite noticeable with with him in terms of the de aging stuff. Um, but I did notice in the introduction to Doc Ock. I mean, it's obviously an action scene as well, mm-hmm. but it's cut in a way where it's not on the face a lot, and so the, sure. the rapid cutting kind of keeps things moving and keeps so you, you distracted use a fully from CG, really, yeah, fully CG Doc Ock, which we got a little bit in the Raimi movies from the that building sequence, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't think any of the action sequences in this maybe rival some of the most memorable of the franchise, but like they're all exciting and I think entertaining and the choreography is a lot of fun. And especially when you get to the end when they all have to work together. But um, in this sequence, I think it's fun seeing this version of Peter Parker, just being absolutely fucking confused and just fighting this guy who has, you know, uh, metal arms. And um, I did think that, um, he, the nano suit, which I thought was cool that Doc Ock takes basically Tony Stark's nano technology and puts it on his Doc Ock arms. And then it almost feels like they couldn't figure out a cool way to just, you know, dispose of, of Doc Ock and get him captured in an interesting way where they're just like, oh, well, Peter's suit could maybe technically control the arms if he took them. And then it feels very convenient and easy and almost anticlimactic. And I don't know if you felt the same when he's just like, I can control your arms now. And then I actually thought that, was, that worked. I yeah? thought that was actually kind of funny. Like that feels like- It is funny. Tony I'm, would have been like, huh, how's that's the true. That's way a good I can point. combat my enemies? Okay, well- And even the back and forth with him, right? Yeah, yeah okay. I'll, I'll just take over their suits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? That is a that is a cool point. That is a good point of a, another throwback to the Iron Man franchise and and how Tony Stark would deal with something. I just to me felt like a little convenient and easy to get out of that situation. It's, it's another cheat code, um, right? Like it's, yeah, it's like okay, how do, how do we kind of resolve this in a manner where we can get to the next plot? Because we have to move pretty quickly through this. Cause yeah, because we, have we so also many... have to bring in Green Goblin <laughs> yeah. for the first time as well. Yeah. And then yeah, to your point, Green Goblin comes in right after Peter kind of. Um, um, captures Doc Ock um, and basically um, has a brief kind of interaction, but then is ripped out of there um, and brought into um, the wizard dungeon dungeon at um, Dr. Strange's place. Um, 
so after that um and that's also where we're introduced to the lizard as well because yes strange, strange already fought him right yes and has caught uh, uh risa fawns's uh lizard who is also yes. rasputin in the kingsman <laughs> yeah so go check out our review of the kingsman um where we talk about reese who i think is better as rasputin than he is as the lizard i mean um, it's mostly just cgi and him just giving a couple a voice, lines of yeah. dialogue and and i mean that's the same thing with thomas hayden church and it's also just funny to mention that even in in the end credits when you see all the names come up like individually of who's in it they don't put Risa Fons or Thomas Hayden Church in Oh do they in, not? No like it's cuz they're mostly it's, it's, CG it's, characters and then yeah, uh, like a, it's yeah. in the 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 scroll the like the like But they the don't S- get their own title card. No. Uh, they don't even get an and credit or anything, eh? No. Interesting. Um so yeah, um you get the lizard is captured, they've captured Doc Ock. They're kind of in these chambers that uh, Doctor Strange has in this dungeon. Um, and then Doctor Strange reveals that Peter has to, or he tells him what we just told you guys, which is the, the, these villains from these different universes have been sucked in because they all know the identity of Peter Parker. Uh, so now Peter has to go capture all of these villains with this cool kind of um, Doctor Strange web slinger device that will capture the villains and put them into these it's cages. It's Power Ranger-esque. It was cool, man. Like he basically rips off his uh, uh, web shooter and then makes it into this mystical kind of um, Doctor Strange slinger thing. And then it just basically shoots a web. And when it atta- or hits something, it brings them into one of these uh, cages. Thought that was dope. And then Doc um, Ock, though, also mentions that um, Norman is dead. Like how could that be the Green Goblin? So that's like the first instance of where – uh, a main plot point of this this story is going to be Spider-Man trying to help villains that have fought other Spider-Men in the past and had and died, died in the process. Fighting, died fighting him, yeah. yeah. Other than Sandman. <laughs> um, who just who didn't... blew away. Well, he did. Maybe he did die. You know, it's he blew me, away. The... Marco. <laughs> we'll get there because um, that's coming up next. So Peter's suit from a brief scene we saw earlier, someone threw like green neon paint on his suit. Um, and he turns it inside out. So he's got the black and gold suit, which I thought was cool. All the wires exposed and stuff like that. Um, he goes to find who he thinks is green goblin, uh, because someone says they spotted a guy floating in the sky or whatever. He also gets Ned and MJ to come over to Dr. Strange's place. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's in help. the dungeon, but it's also kind of like a weird, like your parents' basement kind of setup yes, as well. Exactly. So you have Ned and MJ down there who are kind of helping Peter. You get some interaction between the villains. Like you mentioned, uh, we didn't say that Doc Ock on the bridge realized that this wasn't his Peter Parker or the Peter Parker that he's used to. So he kind of is sorting, starting to understand what's happening. Eric mentioned that uh, he, he says like these people are dead that you're trying to find. He obviously doesn't know anything about the lizard at this point. Cause he's from different universes. The lizard has been pretty quiet other than just like being very lizardy. Um, <laughs> and then, so out. Peter goes basically to this field where there's a lot of electrical lines and you get the reveal of um, Electro, (laughs) the return of Jamie Foxx as Electro. Uh, He starts off as blue. You get a little blue, like how he looked with the kind of, you know, blue electricity flowing through him right away. And then immediately, basically when he's using the power lines here and and sucks in all the power, he uh, gets his body back and then, (laughs) um, which is, and looks completely different than what he did in. Well, uh, he, the he's just he's Jamie Fox. Yeah, they didn't uh, 
they didn't go with his look from Amazing Spider-Man and they kind of just like, oh, he's cool now because he's filled with electricity. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, so anyways, Peter fights Electro, Sandman. Um, kind Peter, of, it's me, <laughs> yeah. We get this moment. <laughs> We get this moment, Peter's about to fight Electro, and then the sand kind of starts going. You're like, oh shit, Sandman's coming. And then you just get this giant face, and it's like, Peter, it's me, Flint Marco. And you're like, great, that's how they're going to do that. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, it was funny. I laughed. Because um, also at the end of, of Spider-Man 3, when he kind of becomes dust in the wind, um, sure. like the Kansas song, they spider-man and sandman sort of parted on good terms yeah so that's why i think he goes to him and helps him initially at first um but then he immediately kind of um doesn't trust peter after that and then uh um so then they fight he captured uh spider-man captures them right both of them or, yeah, and so so yeah. Jamie Foxx's uh, character is nude, so he finds a uh, like a, a, a shack or, of yeah. firemen um, yeah. uh, suits and puts him in that and sends him uh, to uh, the wizard dungeon where you have these characters interacting now, and and obviously um, the lizard starts talking, and um, Electro Max Dillon knows who uh dr connor right is. and then you're and- starting to get some exposition of the villains figuring out that they're from each other's universes but they're different than doc ox uh yeah. one what how'd you change i fell into a vat of eels oh, yeah. how, I, oh I fell into some sand <laughs> yeah that's Careful a great moment fall. and we will say like the humor both the meta humor the in jokes like all of it like it will get to a norman osborne one that's just it's just a law ball like it's such an easy callback but it's so funny um but yeah it's also you get... just become a part of pop culture where it's yeah. kind of like you might as well go for that because it's just it's ridiculous in general especially with some of these villains origin stories where like yeah a guy falls into a vat of eels and becomes electric or a guy falls into a vat of sand and becomes sandman like it's yeah. so silly. it's stupid so it's fun to point that stuff out <laughs> while still being a very serious movie and actually going back to that theme of redemption, which we'll get to in that final act, like um, even though it's very silly and, and their origins are very silly, like there is this redemptive thing of writing wrongs or, or, you know, going back to the core of what the character or what the person was before they became this villain. So I think that was really interesting. Uh, Then we get some goblin stuff. So we see Gobby in the, in the, in the alleyway, with his, he takes his mask off, and you get the old like talking to the mask kind of thing, which we got in the Raimi movies from Willem Dafoe. Um, and then he smashes the goblin mask uh, and kind of moves on. And then I think is the next scene Peter goes to May because May calls him and says one of the guys you're looking for is here, right? Yeah, and then we and also then- get stuff with uh, J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons, kind of finding out that he's going to see his aunt at the homeless shelter um they get that tip and then they kind of are like in in hot pursuit of him as well Mm -hmm. so feast for people who um are fans of you know the comics and more recently uh the spider-man video games uh feast is the like homeless shelter that aunt may works at is prominently featured in the spider-man video game um also is run by a spider-man villain called mr negative um, so I don't know if that will come into play, um, at some point, but, um, thought that was, but it doesn't have to, that's the other thing about this, yeah. th- this movie is that it's, yeah. it's, it's allowing for 
this universe not to have a Norman Osborn or a Doc Ock and saying, okay, well, this is, you know, the, the, the John Watts, Tom Holland version of Spider-Man and not everything has to kind of be directly ripped from the comic book. You can pick and choose things that work within the story you're telling. And that's why they're able to bring in these characters as well. Because I think that would have been, I, that might have been interesting if they brought in somebody that was, you know, in both of the, the you know, whether they were in the Raimi one or the Mark Webb one and were also in the Holland one. But they've kind of been pretty good with going with new villains for each iteration. Mm-hmm. But it might have been kind of interesting, but it's there. You don't really need it because because you get you that between the Spider. Yeah, so why take that away from them, right? Where I feel like that is actually uh, a pretty smart move. So um, then you get, I think, where the movie kind of takes a turn for me in a good way because I think at this point we've seen most of the footage from the trailers were in that first act of the movie. You get a little bit of that final fight where you see Lizard, Sandman. Um, and Electro kind of fighting together. Um, so you're kind of waiting for that if you've, you've seen the trailers, but most of it um, was from that first act. So you get this sequence where Peter's running to feast to try to see May because he thinks she's in danger. Um, and then he gets there and Norman's just chilling in the shelter. I love that. Like, even though he's taken off of his suit, he's still wearing purple and green because you got to commit. <laughs> you got to commit to the goblin colors, um, which I absolutely love. And then you get just Norman seeking help from May. Um, and then you're getting a little bit more kind of depth from, you know, kind of the goblin and and Norman Osborn kind of character where it's played very comic booky in, um, I think, the Raimi movies and I love Defoe in those movies because um, he's really, really animated and, and, you know, he's such a unique face and delivery and things like that. But uh, I think one of the things we kind of allow, uh, kind of touched on in our review, Eric, we, we said like this movie does such a great job specifically, I think with Goblin and um, Doc Ock, like you can really tell that they focused on those two and the other guys were kind of, you know, there seems like three t- kind of tiers. You get Electro kind of in that second tier, and then you kind of have Sandman and Lizard um, just kind of there um, yeah. for the most part. Um, what? How did you feel about the? Because this is where I, the movie started to become a little unexpected to me. Like the next forty minutes or so, I was like, "Oh wow, I did not expect the movie." To yeah, kind of go this way. I think that the way that they portray the duality of uh, Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin here is a little bit more. Um, sensitive and also kind of brings in a component of, you know, somebody struggling with mental illness and kind of not being in the right mindset, but also, you know, being displaced completely. And, you know, for those that are homeless, you know, struggling even more so. And I think that there's something there that is really interesting and sincere with, the character development of, of Norman Osborn um, this time around where I talked about it in, in the review, I always found Norman Osborn's sort of motivations and transformation into green goblin to kind of be lacking. And I felt like the kind of, you know, character talking to themselves is a little bit cliched and I've never been, I like as much as I like, uh, Andy Circus. I never was a big fan of, of Gollum, Gollum either, yeah. doing the kind of back and forth as Schmeagel. Um, 
so with this, I felt like showing actually, kind of schizophrenia in that kind of way. Yeah, and, stuff, and, yeah. And, and again, like to the point of view from like seeing it from somebody who is completely on their own, that's stripped of their wealth, is stripped of their resources, having to kind of fend for themselves and and not knowing where to go, and it's very disorienting. And I think that there is a vulnerability there that isn't as cartoonish um, as Defoe has played it previously, even though there are very much kind of still big yeah. operatic moments, it just kind of felt a little refreshing to see something be taken a little bit more, not even seriously, but a little bit more thoughtful in, in and its I th- portrayal. Yeah. And I think to your point with Aunt May in the movie as well, like having her, we saw a little bit of that at in Far From Home when she's working uh, if, uh, for it's, I don't think she's working for feast at that point. I think it's the United way or something like that, that she's working for where she does the press, not press conference thing, but like, Oh, Spider-Man raising money for, you know, people displaced after the snap and then going to this and just seeing how she treats, you know, Norman as he comes in and is asking for help. And I think that juxtaposition between how Dr. Strange is trying to deal with this problem after the events of Endgame and how, Peter with the inspiration from May. Um, I think that's really interesting, you know, giving May it, it just in that one sequence, like we don't need to see her working at the shelter a whole bunch and stuff like that. But even that one moment I think is enough to kind of catapult that character forward ultimately to where we get in this. And we'll, we'll talk about that and debate it when it happens. But like, well, he um, also trusts Peter. I think that's yes. an important thing to mention as well. That moment is where, he feels safe enough to go with Peter, but then there's an interesting portrayal, n- not on, not the the fault of Peter's, but of Doctor Strange putting somebody with a mental illness in a cage yeah. and just kind of like basically, you know, putting him, assimilating him with the rest of the characters. So yeah. I think that's even interesting. Yeah. So the next scene, as Eric just mentioned, uh, Norman trusts Peter and goes back to Dr. Strange's place, goes to the wizard dungeon, uh, goes downstairs with him because Peter wants his help because he, he wants to help, you know, fix these guys and not just send them off to their death. Um, or actually he finds out about that now from Strange, but he brings Norman back. You get a great interaction from Norman and Doc Ock because they would know one another, but Doc Ock knows that Norman died years earlier in his universe and kind of mentions that to him. And then you get Electro and Lizard, and then this is where you get all the exposition, right, of that they're from different universes and they learn from one another and and kind of understand that. And then at this point in my head, I'm like, oh, he's already captured all five of them (laughs) i'm like and in my head when like we know what this movie's about i'm like huh okay like i i remember that that fight scene's coming because i i've seen the trailers um but i'm like this is interesting i didn't expect at this point in the movie which i can't even tell you how far into the movie is because i was just so locked in i didn't pay attention to like how long it took for them to do that but i i remember going oh this is pretty early and he's captured all five of them and then what you just mentioned, Eric, Dr. Strange comes back. He's got this kind of, uh, you know, cube that he's going to trap them in essentially to send them back to their dimension. Is that what it is? I well, think? he has, like, it, yeah. the spell is in the yeah. cube. And right, so he had to contain the spell, the spell right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he was going to take the villains or he had to do something to send them back and ultimately get rid of the, uh, 
the the spell that he was trying to do because it was like halfway in halfway out and if it broke through then everyone would come oh, i think i guess like that's holding on to an atomic bomb because if, and... if that cube with with the spell explodes it'll basically unleash multiverses galore right and so i think that's the explanation that we were asking for earlier is that he contained it in time but just conveniently it's all the villains that we know um that came through uh which is fine um, and not all I'm, the villains. Yeah, just and, these these guys specifically, and the two Spider-Men. So, yeah. and the, conveniently, their Spider-Men also came through. Um, so, which is fine. Um, whatever. It's a superhero movie. So, then you get Peter who goes, "We don't want to send all of these guys back to their death." Like he sympathizes with them all because, like, he learns that Peter Parker or all of these villains died fighting Spider-Man. Um, and that he is basically the reason or an alternate version of him is the reason that these guys are all dead for the most part. And there's um, probably some residual guilt as well on, on Holland Spider-Man's part because of Mysterio dying, even though it wasn't really his fault. He didn't want to kill Mysterio. It just kind of like, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, he, Go yeah, ahead. no, I was just going to say because with with Vulture, like one of the That's things exactly he does is, is, is save is, him. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is brilliant. Like that is great storytelling throughout three movies. Is like the first movie, he had a chance that he could have let Vulture die, right? He could have let him explode. And then I thought that was so wonderful in that movie because if you think of every Spider-Man movie we've gotten before this, other than Sandman – everyone basically dies right like um so i thought that was refreshing in that first movie and then to your point in the second movie where he ultimately doesn't want to kill mysterio and mysterio ends up killing himself essentially um i think it's so brilliant to then take that nugget and to your point use it as the crux of this movie and like and i i never clicked into that and and that's such a great point eric that like that is ultimately why I think he goes like, I don't want, I don't want to kill these guys. Like I understand that they did some bad things and that was in another universe, but I just don't want to send them back to die. Like maybe we can help them. Maybe we can change them. And, and that's see- even interesting as well, because like there's this gray zone of like, are they really, are they really broken? Like, are these mm-hmm. are, like they're broken people in terms of like, you know, morally, but is it's like, okay, like, are they really, you know, do these these people that are maybe like Spider from Spider-Man's point of view or, or, or society's point of view, you know, do they because it's almost like they treat them like they have these horrible disabilities or something like that. And I found that mm-hmm. kind of interesting as well, mm-hmm. where like it's actually kind of like contemplating, well, like what they have is is something that wants, you know, that that everybody kind of wants to correct in this movie. I mean, obviously Peter specifically, but um, Aunt May being very encouraging to try to help them. But, you know, uh, Green Goblin kind of, you know, has the counter argument of saying like, there's nothing wrong with us. We're not, yeah. we're fine. You know? And that's a great villain thing. And him being kind of the leader of these guys, when we get to that heel turn again, um, I think is great. And I think that's, what this movie does so great with all of these villains is that they're all kind of sympathetic and they were all trying to either improve themselves or help loved ones or something and ended up becoming villains, right? Like Kurt Connors just wanted his fucking arm back. Well, like, yeah, he Doc, wanted to create regeneration yeah, and like, and do good. And then it corrupted him, right? Like yeah. uh, Norman was a scientist. I don't know if he's necessarily trying to do anything good. Um, 
that one sure but doc ock even with his wife and trying to build the son and, and things like that those are funny lines that they threw in it earlier too but um sandman with his daughter and then um like uh electro just being kind of sympathetic of being you know bullied and and you know now he's be seen and be seen and have power right like and then he so i like that he'll turn later again too so this is where the movie kind of takes a twist where Doctor Strange wants to send them all back and Peter goes, let me try to help them. And then Doctor Strange is like, no, it's this is me now. Thank this you. This is for, their fate. This is like, you might fuck things up even more if you do this. Like, we've already messed with the timeline enough during Endgame. Like, I'm just going to send these fuckers back. And then Peter uh, ends up stealing the uh, the wizard box from Doctor Strange um, and essentially leads to a fight sequence a spider-man versus doctor strange uh fight sequence through the mirror verse and, and and very similar you know iconography and and style that we got from the doctor strange the scott movie. derrickson movie yeah. yeah so you know the inception style city folding onto itself a lot of the stuff like that the we saw in the trailers yeah like vision of it all. i ran to the bathroom at this point because i'm like okay we I saw a lot of this in the trailers, so I kind of know that I'm safe. Because, like, what I was worried about talking a Matt's bathroom minute, um, <laughs> it, the, the movie being two and a half hours and we both got large cherry Cokes, I'm like, okay, I didn't have a 30-ounce coffee. I'm going to try. I don't want to have to go to the bathroom five times during this movie. Um, I need to pick one time to go. I gave myself one opportunity, one shot, uh, mom's spaghetti. Um, I knew that was coming. I, I was like, I got to just go once because I have this large Coke. I ate some peanut butter cups and a hot dog. Like, I hope that just soaked everything in. So right when this scene started, I'm like, I know this is going to be cool, but I don't even really love the Doctor Strange movie. So I'm like, I kind of know what I'm going to get here. And did I miss anything cool or was it pretty much what no, I No, I mean, basically thought? what like what it boils down to is that there's I was pretty quick between but... the two that is basically building up to Strange kind of exiting the picture um, up until mm -hmm. the end sort of fight sequence and that Peter uses geometry um, to get out of the situation and figures a way out using uh math so that's kind of which i think joke. was kind of cool yeah. yeah which so yeah they fight in the, in the mirror dimension there's a train there's it's it's pretty cool but yeah it's the, a lot of the stuff you saw in doctor strange and um another element that was surprising to me is and i think why people forget to talk about doctor strange that much in all of their reviews that i've kind of been reading and, and listening to um, is that he kind of, to Eric's point, exits the movie at this point. Peter locks him in the mirror di dimension, steals his sling ring, uh, and then kind of leaves the mirror dimension using math. <laughs> and then, because uh, he's good at geometry, and then goes back and frees all of the villains, essentially. First he goes, you guys got to trust me and listen to me. I'm going to try to help you. Uh, you got to come with me. Uh, gives Ned the sling ring, I think, because Ned, there was a throwaway joke earlier in the movie that his family said that there's magic that runs in the family or yeah, something. Yeah, because he has so. a tingling in his hands. And then yeah. Dr. Strange says, you, you should see your physician. Yeah, which I thought was funny. Um, that so, is one thing, though, that I will say critically. I think some of the humor doesn't always work. It works yeah. much better here than Eternals or even Shang-Chi to a certain degree, but I think a lot of the stuff with like Flash Thompson this time around, yep. like him trying to like pitch his book. Um, and also like 
that conflict of Flash not liking Peter, but liking and Flash getting into MIT, Spider-Man. like yeah. all of that. I, I I agree. I usually love the Flash Thompson stuff. Like Penis Parker, I think is really funny. And just well, the like, first two the, John like, Watts movies are yeah. very funny. Like there's they that are, one yeah. news break in the, oh, like, God. the cafeteria, and that's amazing. what you're kind of missing in this. Like I think a lot of when the three Spider Men get together, like that stuff really works, and I think is really funny. Like the meta humor between all of them that they're referencing their movies and referencing what they did and talking about their powers and we'll get there it's really really funny um but i agree with you like i didn't like the doctor strange jokes like anytime he tried to joke i mentioned the scooby-doo thing that was in the trailer and still does not work in the movie even though they add shit instead of crap um and yeah, a lot of the Flash Thompson stuff, uh, when Peter goes back to the school, they bring in, you know, the three teachers and the three comedians that we know with Hannibal Burris, um, JB Smoove, JB Smoove, uh, Martin Starr, Martin Starr. Yeah. And I thought that scene didn't work at all either and was weird. Like I liked the weird Martin Starr jokes of like his wife leaving him during the blip or like faking her death and stuff. And like, or in the first movie, just being and it's Hannibal more just Burris, an obligation the, this time yeah. around, right? Like it almost feels sitcommy where it's like you get those three actors in a scene and like if it were shot in front of a live studio audience, the crowd would be like, woo, yeah. They're back and they all have their one line or whatever. Yeah. Like Hannibal Burris is a conspiracy theorist and kind but of makes – That makes like, the most sense in yeah. terms of the three of them because in the first movie as the when gym he calls teacher – Captain America, Captain America war, war criminal. criminal which, <laughs> yeah. I mean he's uh, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. wrong. But that's really funny where I just feel like the three of them in this just does – it just did not work. And I'm no. like I, – I like the sequence of Peter coming back to school and the, and all the students like – putting him on TikTok and like recording him and stuff because he's this giant celebrity and uh, the most famous, you know, kid in the world essentially. But still poor. Um, I actually really like that as well. And I love that that's just a through line of Peter Parker is that he's always struggling to make money, right? Like and yeah. I think that's great. Like he can be an Avenger, but he's still, you know, Happy's not sharing any of I mean even Happy's not super wealthy. Like it doesn't look like Tony left any money to any of them. No. And I mean um, we saw that a little bit as well with with Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well where where like, they kind of because... criticize that, yeah. Yeah. Um which I think is interesting. Um Anyways, getting back to it. So Peter releases all the villains and he's like, okay, you guys all have to come with me. And they drive in a feast van and they all go to Happy's apartment, which we didn't mention earlier. That's where May and Peter had to go live. I thought it was funny. All the New York Islanders memorabilia. You have the the robot from the first Iron Man movie. Good callback. Um, that's there. Um, I just liked Happy's apartment. I thought that was funny. Happy well, I like when all this, three the of them come machine. in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I like the idea of all these villains kind of hanging out with Spider-Man yes. and coming into the, like the apartment house and just like, again, it takes time to let these characters just hang out and interact with one another. And it, they're still going to be those kind of CGI heavy fight scenes, but there's enough sort of downtime without slowing major- down the movie. Either. Yes. Because like I was like I could watch a whole movie with these characters hanging out in Happy's apartment and just right. like shooting the shit. And know? that was what I mean by the most surprising element of the movie is like I felt like going into this movie, you know, part of it's our job. Part of it is just we're online all the time. We see all the trailers, we read all the twi- tweets, we see the rumors. We we know you going into it. You're like I kind of how can they surprise me, right? And like yeah. and. 
I don't think that there's like a holy shit moment in this that you're totally shocked that happened. But there were so many times where I'm like, this is not how I expected this movie to go. Like I did not expect us to be in Happy Hogan's apartment with five out of the six members of the Sinister Six hanging out with Spider-Man and going, all right, try and fix us. Like I was like, what? Like, and we're, you know, a good hour and a bit into the movie at this point, you got no Tobey Maguire, no um andrew garfield and you're like this is interesting like this is not the route i expected and to your great point earlier eric like it totally makes sense thinking about it of going of course this spider-man would go hey if i can talk to these guys and just try to help them that's what i want to do and i thought that's just that was so cool and i i agree with you just like seeing them hang out at this apartment peter getting to use his science abilities which i feel like we we haven't had a lot of slowdown moments where you know, you just get to see Peter not necessarily swing around and beat people up, like to actually go, I'm very, very smart. Like his Tony Stark kind of element, like what Tony's He's a bit of a him. scientist. Yeah. God, we missed that line. Yeah. The, uh, I'm a bit of a scientist myself. <laughs> it's like, it was so great. And, um, but I like that interaction with, with, especially with Norman and, and Peter, because obviously like in the Raimi verse, Norman had a, a kind of bond or connection with Peter because of their love of science that kind of made Harry jealous. Right. And here you're seeing a little bit more of that kind of like two great minds sort of meeting on the same mm-hmm. sort of plane and working together on something. And then also it's kind of interesting that like Doc Ock even though he is, I think the most sympathetic of all of them is very irritable and because, because of, of the chip, yeah. but it's just interesting where like, he's also the most skeptical of um, them kind of like, Oh, is this going to even work? Mm-hmm. Which I think is great. Like it's, it's playing on the storylines of those original movies without even like incorporating those original actors. You're incorporating a completely new Spider-Man that's dealing with the same problems of those movies in a completely different way. And I thought that was just, that was so cool and such a cool, awesome way to kind of take this. So you basically get um, them working on uh, Doc Ock's chip, right? That was the first thing that they're going to tackle. And you have all these villains, you have Electro. um, He's going to get an arc react. No, sorry, not the arc reactor. The arc reactor is powering the thing that they're going to create. He wants the arc reactor. He's tempted by the arc reactor. They were going to put something on him that was... Uh, it'll basically suppress all the excess energy. Like, it'll take it out of him. Like, Peter says, it'll... It'll take out the excess energy, but it won't take out the energy you need to survive because the the mind and the body function still needs energy. electricity. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they're going to find all these different ways to help cure everyone. Essentially, I wish um, it was scored to hang in with the boys. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> um, so then you get basically Norman and Peter. Eric, you already mentioned that there was a reveal that there's no Norman Osborn in this universe, which I think yeah. is cool. Or there is, we just don't, no one knows of him yet, which I think could be an interesting route if you wanted to do an MCU version. Like, right. you, but you don't have to either. Like, that's no, the I don't think this movie is also but... kind of taking the stance. It's like not every version is going to be completely built. Or they'll do their own twist the though. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like he could be, uh, instead of Harry being Peter's uh, counterpart, you could have Norman be a similar age as as Peter in this universe, right? And you could have them maybe grow up together. 
Um, and maybe he meets him working later. We'll talk about that at the end where we think it's going to go. But I think that's really cool. Like they go, oh, who the fuck is Norman Osborn? Like I but thought, then, but now Peter knows some of this stuff from yeah. the other multiverse kind of. But then that could be cool though. I think you could play with that where he's always just like, you know, worried about what could happen anyways. Right. And they tease Ned being hobgoblin because that's a thing too. So they kind of poke fun at that. Um, I don't know if it's here or later, but anyways, Norman and Peter work on the chip in Doc Ock's neck. They finish it. Uh, they put it into Doc Ock and it cures him. And there's this really wonderful moment where he, you know, he finally has control of himself again. And I thought like th- that goes to that redemption and the second chances. And ultimately, you know, what he wanted in Spider-Man two. And, you know, those, the arms take control of him and do all these evil things. Um, I just thought that was really, really great. Um, and I think I was talking with some other people with like Tim Gettys of kind of funny and, and things like that. And the goblin stuff, he, and other people, some seem to think that it was just like goblin faking the whole time but i didn't see it that way like i thought it was norman going back and forth because yeah cause this is where you kind of get why would he turn doc ock back to who doc yeah ock exactly really is, right if that was the case because i i do think that there are periods where he is norman osborne and then there are periods where he's green goblin again when somebody is is suffering with either schizophrenia or something that is psychologically sort mm-hmm. of playing with the mind there are moments of clarity where a person is more lucid and then there are other times where they're completely gone so i think i get like even with doc ock like it's like you could look at that as like a a a way of like you know this character is getting both therapy and the medication he needs to kind of be balanced again yeah um but then you have that turn again where goblin kind of takes over and um right after they cure um, Doc Ock and they were developing cures for the other villains and then Goblin takes over and convinces Electro yeah. to, to join him. Because it's the countdown him, right? on, the, on the charger yeah. that he has that's taking out all the energy or the electricity. Yeah, so essentially that's where we get that speech like you're, I think you were saying where there's nothing wrong with us, right? Yeah. Like we're actually like, more powerful now. It's and, just we're gods that we yeah. take what we want. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where you get the split of, you know, them being villains again. So, um, even though Peter then has to work with Doc Ock kind of in that moment and Doc Ock is almost like, because he has control and he's a, essentially a good guy again, because going back to your point of how Peter connected with Norman, he also did the same with Otto Octavius, um, in Spider-Man two before that kind of turn. Um, so now that Otto is sort of a good guy at this point. I think is really interesting and he kind of helps, but then as he, you know, bursts through the building, he kind of runs away and then everyone else escapes. Uh, Goblin and Peter have this um, really wild fight sequence that starts in Happy's apartment. Um, and just this really cool superpower. And I always forget that Norman Osborn is superpowered, um, but he is obviously with these crazy flips and they're fighting through the levels and the floors of the building Super Norman um, Osborn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, he gets almost just as in- injured as Super Dave. But um, they fight through many floors of this building. I think there's some really, really cool choreography here that's outside of the building, on the balconies, inside, through the levels of the building. And then ultimately you get it's to the bottom floor. A lot of property floor. damage. Yeah. Um, 
which is one reason why people hate Spider-Man at this point. Um, and which I love is just an ongoing thing too of just the and Avengers lizard in by the way is in the, the the feast van the feast van and then you also have uh, J Jonah Jameson and who's outside reporting kind of scoping the scene and and basically slandering Spider Man yeah great point so uh, lizard escapes there's a funny line from J Jonah Jameson there's a fight between Goblin and Peter that goes all the way down to the bottom floor. Um, a really intense fight back and forth. Uh, May is now there because she has come to try to help. Or was she always upstairs with him? She no. She Spider Man tell or Peter tells May to run because he senses yes. Because so she comes really in later, great right? Shot that I don't normally like in movies because it's been used so much, and it's that one where they attach the camera to the actor, and it's from their perspective and they like run and it kind of shows their face, yeah, hangover, hangover, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it works so, for the spider sense kind of thing when when Green. Oh Ball yes, I do. Off. Yeah, it's on Peter's face, right? Yeah. As he's kind of, it's he knows something bad is about to happen. His Peter Tingle is in for full force, which I think that's a great with May giving the Peter Tingle the name and like May coming in and him telling her to run. And then she um, goes. She takes the stairs all the way down. Yeah, and then you get the big moment where Peter's fighting Goblin. May tries to help Peter. Um, and then Goblin, um, throws a, uh, pumpkin bomb and, uh, Peter jumps and knocks it out of the way, um, injuring himself. Um, and then I like that your name actually says uncle Eric. I just I saw know. this down here. <laughs> I just didn't know. Um, and then you get the uncle a second Uncle Ben moment, but now is an Aunt May moment where you realize that May is uh, has been injured and is about to die. Well, and, she. Um, th- this is the. This is another criticism. There's two criticisms that I have with this. How um, dare one, you? <laughs> one where I think the 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 CGI of the glider hitting her. Yeah looks a little clunky if i were to say like maybe like one thing like cgi wise that doesn't work and also i think when you see norman go back revert back to green goblin in the scene prior uh upstairs in in um in happy's place you you can see the kind of plasticness of because like willem dafoe is is obviously very expressionistic and obviously a much older man than he was almost 20 years ago so, so they did try to de-age both him and Alfred Molina to be like Raimi era, right? Yeah, and so there is something with like when he does the grin where like it looks very smooth on his face and like the the way that it's lit doesn't always really work. Didn't bother uh, me, but sure, yeah. But 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 no, it didn't it didn't bother me in the sense it's like it took me out of the movie or I think the movie's bad because because of it, but yeah. it, it, you can tell. Like sure. there is something a little uncanny valley about that moment, but it's not as bad as say the Irishman or I agree, um, you know, even Robert Downey Jr.'s sort of younger Iron Man in, in, in civil war, even though that's kind of a simulation and they can kind of get away with that a little bit more, but you can obviously tell. barf. Yeah. Um, so that's what it was called. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but going, but going back to uh, the Aunt May thing, I understand why maybe it's a little bit awkward because they're kind of trying to hide that it, she well, they're trying stabbed. to hide it, but also it's like, do they want like, cause like 
obviously when we think of the the the, the hang glider, we think of like him, like Norman Osborn being, being impaled. impaled. That's what and I again, thought was going to happen. There's the guilt of Tobey Maguire's Spider Man as well, probably feeling the same way and can relate to Holland with the Mysterio thing because he didn't necessarily kill Norman Osborn. Not Norman Osborn killed himself in that first movie. Yeah, but that hang glider, it's like, well, do we really want to see Aunt May get impaled? So it's kind of like this, like. It clips her, it stabs her, she hides it from him, and yeah. then it, you kind of get the Uncle Ben moment again. And, and this I, is the fatalism thing that I'm not yeah. the biggest fan of with blockbusters now, where it's like, it has to be a definitive ending for a character. Without spoiling is, other movies, it's happened a lot lately. Yeah. yeah, especially in blockbuster movies. And I don't know how you... Because I get that there needs to be stakes. Uh, I get that, you know, uh, and I'm I'm kind of torn on it because I, lo- I really like May's arc in this movie. Um, and I love Marissa Tomei so much. So it's just a bummer that, you know, she's the one who had to kind of go. And I think she's so great as May. Um, and like, I am really happy we got the, even though we've heard it, a hundred million times at this point, the great power comes great responsibility. And I think it's very earned from that character um, to say it and not say, this is something your uncle said or whatever. Like aunt may is that person in this universe. And she always has been in Spider-Man and Ben is, is great. And he was the catalyst to, you know, Spider-Man becoming Spider-Man and, and many other versions. But, but you could it, also it, argue uncle Ben in Holland's universe is also Tony Stark. And that's, that's my biggest thing of why I'm kind of torn on it. Cause like, especially when we get to the end of this movie, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm really excited by the end and we'll talk about that. But I'm like this poor fucking kid, man, <laughs> like yeah, he's, he's gone through so much, like from like Tony Stark essentially ruined this kid's life. Like if Tony Stark would have just left him alone, which is kind of the theme of the MCU. Well, Tony um, Stark created his yeah, villains. <laughs> yeah. And he, and essentially he, created this for for this for peter parker because like if he would have just left him alone and he kept being the friendly neighborhood spider-man yes you can't say that may wouldn't have died because the rhino or or whoever these smaller villains would have been that he would have fought as just a a normal version of spider-man but um yeah i'm a little torn on it because like i love the with great power comes great responsibility we finally get that i think it's a really emotional moment i do think it's mostly earned um but I am with you that I'm just like, did we need, did we need this in this movie? I'm like, could we have, was there a more interesting way of getting, you know, to where we needed to go in that final act? Like, I know you needed to give Peter something, Tom Holland's Peter, something personal to, you know, attach him to, you know, these villains, like other than just trying to cure them. Like I I get that why they put that in there. I just don't, necessarily know what else they would have done like is it a different character you kill off to your point eric that just seems like the not necessarily the easy way out but seems to be a trend of going well we need some emotional weight in this movie let's kill off a character that people love and also to Um, hang it on green goblin as the one being responsible it also kind of sort of takes away a little bit of like 
that quality of the mental illness thing where it's like, okay, well, it's like the person that's going to do it is the guy who has the mental illness. It's like, it's so easy to blame that person instead of yeah. like somebody that's, a, and she a was the one who tried mind. to help him and, yeah. and stuff too. Right. And I mean, I get that from a storytelling standpoint. So you have that great moment at the end where he chooses not to kill him, but like, um, yeah, I don't know what other route you take. Like uh, to me, I'm like this kid's lost enough. He had his Uncle Ben moment with with Tony. I would have even loved Tony to say the "Great Power Comes Great Responsibility" line um, in Endgame, uh, but maybe that's because it's not a Spider-Man movie. Maybe you don't put that in there. Maybe it doesn't make sense coming from Tony Stark. But like um, their relationship was Uncle Ben and and you know and Peter to me, and then. I love May and I love that character in these three movies, but like, and I love that she was the one who got to say it. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm mixed on them killing her off. Um, I ultimately think it works. And I think, well, it, it has to for where yeah. the final act goes and the, and the final sacrifice of Tom yeah. and Spider-Man and what that mm -hmm. is. And so yeah. like in, in terms of like where it could go next, because if he's, I mean, again, it's also it is also very nihilistic in a, in a way where it's like he truly is on his own in every capacity yeah, whatsoever. And it's it's really depressing if you yeah. think about it. And like, I do really feel for this character throughout the the whole every MCU movie he's been in because I just feel like he's lost so much and he has to live with it all, and he doesn't have anyone he can share it with. And like, it's that's a lot. And I, I, I can't wait till we get through the plot and we'll talk about where we think it goes next. But I do think the May thing is necessary or cause I just don't know. You're not going to do it to MJ again because you know, they've done that with Gwen and I mean, they never did it in the original trilogy and I like where we get, we haven't even gotten the original Spider-Man yet in our plot synopsis, but like we're getting there. Um, so anyways, I'm mixed on the May thing, but and I think you're you're in the same boat. Um, yeah, I just I just so, think but. it's 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 I I get where they're going for or what they're doing from like a story standpoint and how it works with that character. It's just again, he, like he's been through the ringer already, and it's just like like, like did you need he, to give this kid give this kid a break? Yeah, like, <laughs> like even when you have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield kind of like comforting him a little bit and saying, you know, my uncle Ben died and and i lost somebody too and then garfield is also another character as well who when you look at those two movies right. he lost ben and gwen right? he and his parents oh right yeah so it's like which i guess all of these peters did lose their parents like that's one yeah, thing but, that we're like but you always got the sense that peter really i didn't even have... think of that though because like that's another thing on this peter parker that we haven't touched on because he probably did lose uncle ben maybe it was before may maybe before he came into may's life like maybe this yeah. version of ben already died before peter came into may's life but peter's parents are somewhere they uh, they either died or maybe he was just in this version just given up for adoption right away to the aunt i don't know but like yeah or maybe he never um, knew them because that's that's the sense that you got even with the toby Maguire spider-man that like his parents were you know aunt man uncle ben and then when yeah. uncle ben dies that's just basically losing his dad, his dad yeah totally you know? and with with the andrew garfield character it's like he not only loses his parents he loses uncle ben and then he loses gwen and you're just yeah. kind of like wow but at least that he's so bleak yeah yeah and i mean and i think it goes even it's bleaker, bleaker for than tom... nightmare alley <laughs> yeah and even i think tom holland's is pretty bleak too but is is optimistic but bleak but um 
Okay, and then now we finally, in a in a moment that I that's not how I was expecting them to be introduced in the movie. You have Ned and MJ at Ned's grandma's house. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Ned and MJ haven't heard from Peter in a while. They've um seeing stuff on the news from Happy's apartment. Uh, they're worried about him. Ned has this sling ring. And he noticed being like, oh, I wish we could just see where Peter was. And then he he notices that uh, a portal opens briefly. And then he tries to use the sling ring. And Ned, Ned is able to conjure a portal uh, to reveal Peter Parker. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job here of, like, you know, you see Peter in the distance uh, in his Spider-Man outfit. And you know what's about to happen if you know what's about to happen. Um, but I think it was a really fun moment. And I th- I cannot wait to watch this with a public audience because people are just even though mo- a lot of people know that they're in it, people will still lose their minds. Um, it's Andrew Garfield's version of Spider Man who pops in in costume, uh, pulls off his mask. It's Andrew Garfield, and you're like, they did it. They're they're in this movie, and we still have like an hour left. Um, and they have a really good back and forth with Ned and MJ. Um, I think it's very funny. Um, I think it's, it's a, I don't know, a great reintroduction to the character where he it still feels very much like that version of Spider-Man. But to your point, Eric, like it feels like it's honed in a bit more and less, you know, less, I'm too cool for everything and more actually Peter Parker. There's a direction for um, this version now that there really wasn't with the Mark Webb one. And you can also tell that I think Garfield really loves the material and is engaged by it and it feels like because of that he's more kind of connected now and enthused to be back i'm i'm very curious to like i'm sure there will be an interview down the line where he talks about like what kind of won him over but i wouldn't be surprised if it was just the way that the script kind of brings a kind of bittersweet quality to this character now who we learned that after um Gwen the events of, of of Gwen dying that he kind of went on this kind of dark streak which isn't necessarily surprising but it's just interesting that like you know these characters had a life out after a history their two, after their yeah. two you know Garfield's two movies and then uh Toby Maguire's three who movies. we get let's bring him in right now so yeah. then they do it again after this cute scene with Andrew Garfield because they're trying to still find their Peter and then you have Toby Maguire walking in street clothes. And then it's just like, holy shit, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and then you have some great back and forth between everyone. And yeah, this is a little bit jumping ahead. But yeah, to your point, Eric, like I love what the movie did with giving us essentially sequel material from those franchises by talking about, uh, yeah, like, and it makes sense for Andrew's version of Spider-Man that he was a bit more brooding and he was you know, of all the things we talked about that he would go down a dark path. And he talks about, I stopped pulling my punches, which is like, Oh shit. Like, what did you do? Um, and then Toby talks about how he reconciles with MJ and that, you know, it's, he's working on it. And like, which is almost kind of like Peter B. Uh, Parker. Yes. Spider-Man into the spider verse. Exactly. And, um, so essentially they, uh, talk with these two Spider-Men realize what's happening. Um, they say that they need to go and help, this version of Peter, um, the MCU version of Peter. So um, they go, is there somewhere he would, he would go to feel comfortable? Uh, and they go, is it the top of the school? 
that they're at though is that where it is or is it so. just another building i thought i think it's the top of the school because he goes there earlier with mj and is like it's finally somewhere he can escape where it's quiet um so he goes there he's a wreck because may just uh died um you get uh mj and um, ned go up to him and he's like we have some people who want to uh, talk to you and peter's originally sorry i'm saying peter so Tom Holland. I'm just going to call them by their actors' names because I feel like that's easier. Um, yeah. Tom Holland uh, is like, I don't want to fucking talk to these people, and like, and then you get this really cool shot where it pans up and kind of on the bell tower kind of thing. You have the two Spider Men uh, like perched up there in the shadows, and they jump down, and then you get the first interaction between the three generations of Spider-Man. And then to your point, Eric, like there's some really nice moments here where they each talk about their loss and what they've gone through and how they can connect with one another because they're all Peter Parker. Um, And this is where you're starting to get that celebration of Peter Parker, the character and Spider-Man, the character. Um, And the psychology of him, because again, you know, with the loss of, of uncle Ben in, in both of the previous uh, iterations. And then now with may like, that's the catalyst to make Spider-Man kind of change his ways. But also again, talking about guilt and remorse, he always lived with the fact that he, he blamed himself for uncle Ben's death. Like if he, you know, had stopped that one criminal from, you know, getting away, uncle Ben would still be alive. So for the rest of his life, no matter how many good deeds he does, he's always going to have that. I think and he that, feels that way with May here too. Exactly. Right? And so yeah. these these two guys who have lived with it longer, even though, you know, time heals all wounds, you still live with the scars that you have, are able to sort of relate to him and empathize with him in a way that obviously he's not aware yet because he did, because again, to your point that we mentioned that he doesn't really have an Uncle Ben in his life. The Uncle Ben, the closest thing was Tony. Yeah, and and it's not a one to one match. Like we just think thematically, Tony makes sense as the Uncle Ben style character, and I like that they subvert your expectations with the May thing. And even with the end of this movie, skipping ahead, this weirdly again talking about the celebration of Spider Man movies, and we've we've kind of poked fun that like, do we need to see Uncle Ben die again? Do we need like, you know, a, another Spider Man origin story? Like this is weirdly the MCU Spider-Man origin story in yeah. movie number three, um, which is, is wild. And I get chills talking about it. And I think the ending is so fucking cool. Even if it's a little bit of a cheat code from Dr. Strange uh, and a reboot point, but like it is such a perfect way of going, okay, we did our MCU version of Spider-Man. We've had enough time from the other versions. Uh, let's see how we can kind of move forward with that. We'll, we will get to that, but essentially, the three Spider-Men, uh, after sharing these stories with one another, like they convince Tom Holland that, you know, you need to, you need to keep going for May, right? Like you need to do this for her. And, and he doesn't go down a dark path like the other guys did because they had, they didn't have one another. Like he has them in this moment, which I think is really cool. Right. And they share that stuff with him where, you know, the, the normal Spider-Man origin is that they're so taken aback by uncle Ben that, you know, uh, uh, Toby McGuire talks about that. He killed the dude that he, you know, thought killed uncle Ben, but really it was Sandman. Um, it's me, uh, Flint Marco. 
I killed your uncle, but we're friends now. But that retconning is like also kind of interesting as well to think about in Spider-Man three, because like I, that was one of the things that bothered me the most about that movie. Not emo Spider-Man, not Topher Grace's Venom, but like it took. And Sandman's one of the best parts of that movie. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it just took away from the power of, and the emotion of uncle Ben's death. And it kind of felt like it, like made everything a plot was, device instead well, of it, a plot device but that everything is kind of like interconnected like it just wasn't just a random you didn't need act it. of violence yeah. yeah you didn't need that no um so they convince him to fight and that they will help him so we get another cool hangout mo- science moment where they all go back to um i forget where this is where i think it's the school this. it's the school in the science lab right yeah. like so they go into the school into the science lab and then you get the three Peter Parkers working together with Ned and MJ, uh, each taking their own kind of villains to focus on to try to make the cures because uh, they still want to help these villains. Like Peter talks cure to them. for wellness. Um, I keep saying Peter, which is another joke in the movie that they do over and over again, which is very funny. And in these sequences, what a what a delight to just watch these guys kind of hang out and be science bros together, all being Peter Parker, um, but all being very unique. Like, uh, again, all having a different vibe while feeling like the same character. Like, I feel like the best elements of the Andrew Garfield character come out, the best ones of the Tobey Maguire one come out. And he's even adapted and he's a little older and he's a little bit more quiet and he's not as kind of geeky as he was and things like that. But like, you not get some great- Not a lot of Tobey face. yeah. And then you get some great moments of them. Is this where the organic web stuff comes out? Like where? Yeah, where they talk yeah. about because Tobey Maguire. Like that was that was always one of the most interesting things about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films is that is that the web isn't developed in a lab. It's actually organic and part of his body. Yeah, and there's some great jokes there. Like the is that the only place it comes out? <laughs> like is great and like just them going ugh. Like you just make that in your body. Um, I think that shit is so funny and just hearing them kind of talk about uh, back and forth and like kind of Andrew's being the cool version of Peter Parker and and you know Toby. It's McGuire talking shop, like, right? Yeah, Toby McGuire. Uh, there's a great joke by Andrew Garfield where he calls him a, a youth pastor. Um, which I laughed really, really hard at. Well, it's also and, funny thinking as well because, like, I could see Tobey Maguire sort of negotiating in his contract. It's like I don't really want to wear the suit for the majority much. Yeah. of the film. Can you just have me like wear in a hoodie? Clothes? <laughs> like, Where Garfield and Holland yeah. in their scenes together um, are all wear- both of those guys are wearing the suit. Where, yeah. where Tobey Maguire, I feel like the stipulation. They do put on like other clothes. Like uh, Andrew Garfield puts on a lab coat when they're in there, but he's got his Spider-Man suit under. Yeah, and where I feel have... Tobey Maguire is like, yeah, for the like, I'll wear it for like maybe like ten. The final of the scene, movie. yeah, <laughs> the final sequences, but don't make me wear it uh, for the rest of it. Uh, so that great science sequence is, is awesome, and then they head over to lure everyone to the Statue of Liberty going back to the X-Men reference and we see that the Statue of Liberty is being uh, repaired and they're putting a Captain America shield on the Statue of Liberty. Um, And then Ned and MJ um, stay back uh, at the school while the three Spider-Men go to fight Sandman, Doc Ock, no, not Doc Ock, Lizard and Electro. 
And well, that is Goblin... another thing that's a little bit weird with the handling of Doc Ock after he's been cured because he kind of runs off as well um, yeah. when the police and, and everything kind of goes south. And then like when he does come back, you know, for a minute there, there's that kind of fake out. It's like, oh, he's working with the villains again, but he's not. And it's like, okay, well, like, why did he end up like, why didn't he try to find spider-man again and and like try yeah. to help because like again like he at that point there is that one moment pure. everyone thinks he's a villain still and like he had yeah that's probably, what i was mentioning yeah so um that's how i took it because the j jonah jameson kind of newscast at the at, that's i guess that's the easy way to explain that um so then you get this uh the big final act fight scene which confirms some of that trailer footage was doctored to remove the other two spider-men because everyone's like wow lizard's neck gets snapped the other way and by an invisible kick or punch yes that was andrew garfield spider-man that kicks him or punches him um and then you kind of get that first sequence where they're all fighting and they don't know how to work together because to our point earlier peter parker usually as spider-man does not work with other spider-men um, so they don't really know how to work well together. Um, but then they kind of take a time out as they're fighting, um, and kind of go, okay, we need to be better at this. And then they kind of get on the same page. I forget what they change, but they go, I like the Peter one, Peter two, Peter three gag too. And then, um, they're, fo- they, they're, 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 they regroup and kind of like their main, their, their tactic is to focus on one villain at a time. Yes. At a time. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I do like the, calling Garfield Peter three, I think is really funny. Um, we, before this fight, when they're all in their Spider-Man costumes, we get another great moment of, um, them all talking together and like, uh, calling Andrew Garfield to, you're amazing, man. You're amazing. Don't ever forget that. Like, um, and he's like, ah, oh, thanks. Thanks guys. And like, no, no, no. And like just those comments back and forth, they talk about the web shooters again, I think. And then they kind of call back to a few other things. Oh, this is when you get the funny villain talk of being like, they're just waiting for the villains to come to the statue of Liberty. Cause they lured them there. And then, so they're just kind of all waiting there. And I forget who says it, it might be Tom Holland because he's a kid, right? And he's well, he curious. talks about going to space, and, right? And fighting. Yeah, because he goes, do you guys, um, you guys fight any cool villains in your universe? Because I fought a, an alien both like on Earth and in space. And, and I teamed big, up with uh, the Avengers. Yeah, and the Avengers. And they're like, oh, the Avengers? What is that? And I thought that is was that really band? funny. Yeah, I thought that was funny. And then you get. Uh, the fun little conversation of them talking to them and going, Oh, I fought an alien once too, but he was uh, black and goopy or whatever. And like, uh, and then you get Andrew Garfield being like, I fought a, a Russian dude in like a rhino suit. And like, uh, which I thought was really great. And like kind of poking fun at the villains that they fought in their universes that aren't in this movie. Um, I think that was great. Then you get this fight sequence where they then have to work together. They focus on one villain at a time. Doc Ock comes back. There's a great moment between Doc Ock and Peter, which Eric, I think you really love this moment, right? Yeah. So after the, the villains have been essentially cured, um, and, uh, including, uh, Norman Osborn, who kind of has like the big kind of, like, oh, so they fight. did kind of, that's after or no? I think it's after because it's, okay, we it's, can keep, it's like when the yeah. dust settles and like everything's clear, sure. then like Doc We don't Ock, have to focus too much on the other stuff. They do right. just, yeah, yeah, they go and cure everyone except but, for Goblin. Yeah, and, and, and Doc Ock kind of looks at Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker and, and basically says like, Peter, you grew up, you know, like because the last time Doc Ock's on was when he drowned and, you know, since then 
Toby Maguire and Peter Parker, this version of Peter Parker have grown and they're, yeah. you know, like, and now he's, and now that he's that, that version of Doc Ock that was still very friendly with Peter, as I was mentioning when they were like doing science experiments and he was interning for him. Right. There's a like yeah. great d- dinner sequence and stuff like that. in Spider-Man too. Yeah. I think that was a really great moment. Um, you get, um, electro and andrew garfield's version getting that kind of moment because again he was kind to max what before max became electro and i thought i thought like those moments where andrew garfield's version of spider-man was interacting with a kid or something someone that he kind of sympathized with i thought he was actually quite good in those other spider-man movies and that comes out even more here where he feels more sympathetic and just kind of like connects to them on like a you know a human level and i thought like when electro is finally taken down like there's a great moment between you know andrew garfield and like that's what we mean by redemption and second chances like it was so cool to see each one of them interact with their villains in you know a way that's not where i'm gonna you're you have to die it's me or you kind of thing right like or you leave me no choice yeah so this movie does such a great job of giving those moments to each one of the Spider-Men and the villains from those movies. So uh, yeah, with the lizard, with um, Doc Ock, with Sandman, even um, you get those moments and then it all leads to, um, I should say Ned and MJ can't close a portal. MJ comes through cause the lizard chases after her. Um, she falls a lot like MJ or Gwen Stacy falls in the amazing Spider-Man two. We see this moment in the trailer, uh, Tom Holland goes to jump to grab MJ. He's tackled by the lizard, I think, or goblin. I forget. One of the um, two, yeah. One of the two takes him. And then it's it's so obvious, um, but I think it's done so perfectly because I do think the Gwen Stacy death is is really, really impactful. And, and as much as I don't like that second movie, like – um, and it's corny with the hand on the on the the web going out to try to grab her. But I think Garfield's performance and just the chemistry that they had in those two movies, I think, really carry that moment. And it is super emotional. I feel like, even though I don't, I think that second movie is a trash fire. So it's such a cheap moment that, um, you know, Holland can't save MJ, and you think she's going to die just like Gwen did. And then you see Andrew Garfield start to go and you know exactly what they're doing. And it is kind of cheap, but like, I think it just, it's fan servicey um, for a movie that's not very good and a franchise that was never good. But this is about the redemption stuff we keep talking about, or I'm like, they're giving these characters to right the wrongs or, or change things in, in, in a different kind of way, but in this universe and to have Andrew Garfield go down and grab MJ and stop and catch her and say, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's okay. And then him breaking down, I think is like such a fucking good moment. Like I, and that's coming from someone who does, I don't even really like the amazing Spider-Man movies. Um, I think the saving grace for those is the chemistry between, you know, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield and he's charismatic and she's charismatic. And uh, I just think that that moment is just, fantastic it's fan servicey to the hundredth degree but like um i think it's super you know well done and, and earned um then finally we get you know all the villains have been cured you get the final kind of showdown between goblin and uh 
Tom Holland's Peter Parker while Tobey Maguire was dealing with Sandman, I think, or Doc Ock, those moments that you're talking about, I think. Uh, he was, no, because Sa- Sandman was the first person that they cured. Right. So okay. it would have probably been um, Lizard. No, Lizard was second. Record. I thought Tobey was maybe with Doc Ock and he comes over after or something, right? Yeah. Because Tom Holland is beating the shit out of Goblin at this point. Like they're fighting on the shield that's fallen into the water. Right. Yeah. I think, which is a really and good sort of like uh production set piece. Design, yeah, set yeah. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just a brutal fight. Like you get that, you know, that post uncle Ben moment in this post aunt may moment where, you know, Spider-Man is enraged and he's going to kill the guy that killed, you know, aunt may in this. And like, he is absolutely like the, probably the most brutal we've seen the Tom Holland, um, Spider-Man be, and just Spider-Man in general. Like, he is beating the shit out of Goblin at this point. And you see the other two Spider-Man kind of looking down on him. And it's going back to the, the stuff they talked about earlier of that, you know, they regret some of the things that they did and you'll regret it if you do that. But it just kind of overtakes Tom Holland and uh, he's about to kill uh, Goblin with the glider. And then Tobey Maguire's, uh, you know, writes the wrong of, you know, the first Spider-Man movie and comes down and saves Norman's life by stopping, which again, all of these moments on paper sound, or like when you're talking about them sound so obvious, but it's not how I would have even thought this movie was going to go in this redemptive kind of arc. Um, so he stops the glider and then you get a moment, which I was also worried about that you kind of get the agent Colson like stabbed in the, the back kind of thing as, as Tobey Maguire's looking at Tom Holland. And I'm like, you got, you, you just killed May. Don't kill one of the Spider-Men. I don't need it right now. I'm like, please don't like, we don't, I just, and luckily that turns into a gag. So um, instead of you at that moment, I thought they were going to kill off the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but um essentially garfield whips over the um the cure uh uh, tom holland grabs it stabs norman in the neck cures him and kills uh, green goblin uh kills goblin saves norman yeah um and then you're worried for uh toby mcguire there's a good joke of being like not the first time i've been stabbed i'm good (laughs) i'm like okay cool that's funny um, and then you kind of have a great moment between the three st- Spider-Men who saved the day. MJ's okay. Uh, then Dr. Strange comes back. I don't know if it was before this point. He comes back um, as, uh, like when, once lizard's been cured. Cause like, that's when you see Risa Fons as well, where, um, Ned does a sling ring, right? Yeah. And, and like, then you, um, you're basically like the uh, MJ and Ned are like, Oh, he's, he's curing them. Like, Oh, he's, right. He's he tells him he's doing it. He's doing yeah. what you said he couldn't do. And then, uh, Dr. Strange is like, Oh, kind of impressed by that. But then something happens, which breaks open the spell, right? Like someone well, hits because, the box. No, no. Cause, uh, one of the goblin bombs gets in the box right. and it blows up and it basically yeah. unleashes the multiverses and so the world around the spell New York kinda, yes. cracks. And so you're seeing the seams break and all like where you see the the sixties cartoon version of Rhino and Scorpion and kind of like cloud form. In silhouettes kind of yeah. thing. Which I thought was really cool. Um you I saw Scorpion was what I noticed. Can't wait to look at it again and kind of see who else you can kind of pick out because I'm assuming you'll see silhouettes from uh more every yeah <laughs> every villain and every spider-man character um 
So that'll be exciting. And I'm assuming that's, we'll get some stuff in Morbius that like probably the aftermath of what happened here. I I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Morbius also takes place in one of the other Spider-Man universes because maybe I mean, Raimi's the the one on, yeah, because Raimi's Spider-Man is the one that's on the wall, right? Like, um, who knows like that that we'll talk about that at the end here but then there but... is a venom reference in the latest morbius trailer and there is i don't think there is a spider-man in the venom universe so i don't know right so. that's why i think it could be like a hodgepodge who the fuck knows we'll, we'll i mean i out. think this i think um, sony is like on their own with that stuff but then again like there's something that i'm now a little bit concerned with um with, with where the movie ends and we'll, what they, we'll they could there. do with it um almost done um dr strange uh essentially peter goes back to him and uh says to him like what like how are we gonna fix this and then basically peter goes if we go back to the original plan which was no one remembers who i am um will that solve this and he goes yes um so to what eric mentioned at the beginning of the show uh he has to make the ultimate sacrifice of basically what I'm calling both a, you know, sort of a Dr. Strange cheat code, but also just this ultimate sacrifice of being like, it's worse than know, death. I think um, where he has to lose the love of his life. He has to lose his best friend. He has to lose the Avengers. Um, he has to lose, uh, you know, everything, literally everything. And he, ha- no one will remember who he is. Um, and it's, people won't remember Peter Parker at all, right? Like that's what it is. It's not yeah. just people won't remember that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. They just won't know who Peter Parker is. He is yeah. on his own. Um, and we were talking to a, a fellow critic of our Stefan um, after the movie. And he brought up a good point being like, if you think too hard about Dr. Strange's powers, it starts to collapse in itself. Cause you're just like, can he change tweets and news reports and like when he does this spell is it just people's memory or is it like well i literally... think i think if 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 spider if peter parker doesn't exist or spider-man doesn't in it, people's like, heads in, like i think like those tweets and those do they disappear you, or they're there and people they're just, just gone no i just yeah. think they're gone or they're replaced by Whatever, just spider-man yeah. like yeah. like the, the like i mean you even see at the end so then he like can Jay physically change talking things about though. spider-man being or gaining um, a, a, a fandom, you know, and, yeah. and some people, and I think that's kind of what would be replaced. It's just, yeah, that's just, mental. I think that's just interesting because you think of it, changing someone's memory is one thing, but physically altering, you know, f- physical things that exist, right. Even if it's digital or, but a newspaper or, or anything like, well, you could that- even say like, how does that affect like things that Spider-Man's done in the past to, help other people right like does that change like how vulture was at like and like michael keaton's uh, vulture now doesn't know who uh yeah so that's a and that's a reset thing right because like that was a whole big cliffhanger is that he knew that peter parker was spider-man that kind of resets as well um i wonder what they'll do with all of that but i i think that stuff you you can't think too hard I, i think it's okay to criticize that and go like yeah I, I, it is a bit of an out, an easy out, but like there are things you can pick in that and going, ah, okay, it's a little bit of an easy like reset button of going, well, don't think about it too hard, but just no one knows who Peter Parker is and no one knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So he's erased from history, essentially. Um, 
which is interesting and and we'll finish that. So and anyways, he says do it. He has a final moment with MJ and Ned tells them what's going to happen and has a goodbye with them, which is nice. Goes to the other Spider-Man, uh says thank you for everything you did. Um like this is what I chose to do and then um uh that's the last bit we get with them, which I wish we got maybe something a little bit more, but I understand that it's Tom Holland's movie, not their movie. So and I have a we weird got more feeling. than I thought we would get with them. Totally. Like, I honestly thought that. But I just meant just like closure. Cameos, and right? I I just meant like closure. But um, they could be leaving it open. I know. For, and I think they are. Like more. that's I I would not be surprised if this is not the last time we see those characters i'm more inclined to say we will see andrew garfield as spider-man again over toby mcguire um <laughs> but like i'll do it as long as i'm just wearing plain clothes <laughs> but i also wouldn't be surprised if you see toby mcguire now pop up in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness but like um I, i'm really curious but i would have liked maybe a little bit more closure with those guys but uh essentially what we see is everyone kind of fades out in this like glow, this golden glow. They kind of just fade out and and return to their universes. So you see all the villains now cured, return to their universes. You see the two Spider-Men return to their universe. And now the villains have um, a second chance and that they mm-hmm. won't die in those universes. And then yeah. again, like you could also talk about like, okay, well, how does that change those worlds right so i would say that they go back to even different versions of spider-man because they would go back to the spider-man at those times because i'm assuming they would leave basically moments before they died right yeah that'll be interesting because if then if they come back then spider-man it's it's basically like a time travel paradox right where or like (laughs) it would create alternate time it would create alternate timelines again right yeah you're basically creating a branch reality like it it if you go like by Loki, right? If you go by Loki logic, the TVA would interject, right? Like, yeah. but the TVA but at this right point yeah. don't wouldn't because of everything, which is why I, again I love the interconnected storytelling of the MCU is because those are things we would bring up, and you go, well, if this is after the events of Loki, the TVA might not actually do that because of Kang, all of this stuff. So, um, anyways, Peter. Now we see it jumps uh, to Christmas time, which I'm assuming is the same Christmas time as Hawkeye, because we yeah. saw the Rogers, the musical um, billboards earlier in the movie, and now it's at Christmas time. Christmas time um, is here. That song was in today's episode of Hawkeye. Um, you haven't watched it yet, but um, so it's Christmas time. Uh, Peter goes to get a cup of coffee at the coffee shop that MJ works at. He has a speech all written out that he wants to say to her to try to convince her uh, that they were in love and that they know each other and things like that. Um, But I think once he sees her and Ned talking about how they're going to MIT and that they kind of have normal lives, he worries that if he involves them again, that they will be hurt or um you know their lives will be put in danger again or he'll ruin their lives again so he ends up just having this kind of very normal exchange with mj where they just kind of talk well kind of um, awkward but like awkward yeah, in a in a, in a, in a very, way yeah but also kind of yeah. sad very sad yeah. um it's it's way better than i think the dark knight rises epilogue kind of thing of like the uh alfred drinking his ferny bronca whatever and like um and stuff like that and like the wink like i feel like that doesn't work as well as like this where you actually have a connection and you can't talk to this person and then he goes to may's grave 
it has that same kind of moment with Happy Hogan, who doesn't know who he is now either, but he knows, which I think is interesting because he would he knows May and then knows he has a relationship with May. So this is where it gets confusing because then I was like, how do people have alternate memories of how they met someone and stuff like that? I or they guess go, oh, so. I, I can't, think you'd have to fill I can't in the remember. Blanks. I can't remember how we met. Maybe he just knows that he had a relationship with May, but then he goes, oh, how did I meet May Parker? Like, I don't remember kind of thing. Like, I guess that's how it would work. But um, I thought Happy at that moment, like there was going to be a thing where like Happy somehow, like Tony put some chip in his brain that doesn't let his memory get uh, erased or something. That's why he also thought, sleep like, uh, apnea. apnea. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, Happy doesn't know who he is. So Peter has this uh, moment with Happy and tells him that he's going to continue. Uh, and then a moment that I just, I absolutely love and what I go back to of like, I can't believe that, this is like the fifth movie we've had fifth or sixth movie. We've had Tom Holland Spider-Man in, and it's sort of an origin story, which yeah. I would have never, never guessed that this is basically, we're getting the classic Spider-Man origin story with the uncle Ben death, who is aunt may the Peter now is becoming the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And he, he creates his suit from scratch. He's not using a Tony Stark suit because that stuff's all gone. No one remembers him and he can't get that stuff. He sews a suit together in his new apartment that he gets. I thought Mr. Dikovich was going to come in. I did too. <laughs> like, I was thinking um, the whole time. It's like the internet's uh, prayers have been answered. Yeah. Um, does his daughter make him cookies or whatever? Like, um, but it sounded like it was the guy from the mini Mart or whatever, the bodega. It sounded right. like that guy. Um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy Peter saves in the first movie. Um, Mr. Delgar, right? I got it. I think yeah. it's Delgar. So I, it sounded like Mr. Delgar. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was above Mr. Delgar's uh, convenience store in Queens. Um, and then you get this moment where he created his own costume and he's going to continue being Spider-Man and he, he swings out of his window and, you know, I get chills thinking about it that like, I I've talked about it. I love the MCU version of Spider-Man, but the one thing, and I think other people have this criticism too, is that like, you know, and to your point, Eric, which I think is a good thing. It's different than the other Spider-Man movies. They did their own version of Spider-Man. They changed things. They melded characters together his origin was different he was you know it got very big very quickly you never really got other than homecoming a little bit or mostly throughout homecoming you see him kind of start but he still had tony stark suit he had an ai system he had all of this stuff like it was still heavily involved with the avengers and after civil war like when you drop that character you never it, saw him got bit by the spider you never yeah. saw any of that stuff and i'm not saying you necessarily needed that but it was more so like it's what i talk about why again i'm going back to batman too who is like tied for first or maybe slightly second of my favorite superheroes like I like my Batman stories more grounded, more of those, you know, street level villains that the detective work, like when Batman gets too big, when it involves Superman and like supernatural stuff and Nipples space stuff, like, um, I just, it doesn't, it loses me. And like, I loved when Scott Snyder started writing Batman, he, it started in detective comics and it started really small. And I think Scott Snyder is one of the best, uh, you know, comic book writers of all time. Uh, but 
you know, as he started to grow with that character, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I lost a little bit of interest towards the end of his run on Batman because he was doing Dark Knight metal and stuff like this. And it was alternate universes and all this stuff. And Spider-Man, I think, is similar where I like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like, I kind of like that he's just New York superhero. Like, there are bigger villains, but it's mostly street level. And that's why I'm surprised how much I love the MCU version of the character because it's not that. But I think it's because I love the MCU so much. And we already had two other iterations that were pretty classic versions of Spider-Man. So what this movie is so fascinating of how it's able to kind of celebrate all of that, celebrate the MCU versions, celebrate the classic versions, um, but then also give us a reset point where Peter Parker, now a little bit more grown up, a little bit more mature, has a ton of loss in his life, had to give away everything, but is now going, you know what? I'm going to be that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm going to keep going for May. I'm going to keep going for Tony, for Happy, everyone. Um, <clears throat> is so cool. And like, it's, I, I can't wait to see where they go next. And we get a little tease of that in the post credit scene, but like, I don't know how you felt Eric, but like that's, yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I, I like, I like it from a narrative point of view. And I really like that the ending is the beginning and, and sort of to your point, restarting everything. But I'm also nervous, not because of the film, but because of what that could entail for Tom Holland, Spider-Man in the future. Meaning that, if Marvel and Sony don't work together to sort of continue their partnership, that now this Tom Holland Spider-Man, who basically has erased the memory of, of everybody who knew who he was, is excluded from the MCU. Because now there's there's this opportunity for Sony to be like, well, we, we, we don't there's want There's a reset that point. We yeah. can It can still technically be part of that universe but because you've erased everyone's memory no one has to reference one or the other so like exactly we, we could keep going tom holland would still have all those memories though right so like you'd have to kind of sort of address it and if you don't make that deal then sony can't reference any of that stuff which i could see them being like oh well we can um, just figure that out to not like write it in there especially I, with craven the hunter coming up and things sure. like that where i really like i know the deal's not done i mean amy pascal talked about how they're gonna keep making them they have another trilogy in mind and and things like that and um i think they'd be stupid uh not to continue the relationship even at the 75 25 i think it's what it's at right now um Disney pays 25% of the budget. They get 25% of the profits. And this movie is going to make a billion dollars or more. Probably. Yeah. More. I mean, even with um, sort of, you know, maybe certain restrictions coming back into place for Ontario, but Ontario. we're such a small part of it. And I don't think the States are going to go back into a lockdown no matter what happens. But like this movie truly, I think like they'd be really the success that they've seen in these three movies and the interconnectedness of Spider-Man in the MCU, I think is almost necessary. And like, it's, you saw with the Garfield movies that, you know, there are fans of those movies. And I think that he is redeemed in this movie, but like it didn't work, right? Like you tried, you go, okay, we're doing another version of Spider-Man. It's going to be a little darker. It's gonna be more modern. Like it's Peter Parker's gonna be a little cooler kind of thing. And then by the second movie, people are like, nah, bro, I don't want this. Like, um, maybe you go the Miles Morales route. Like there's a, is a reference to him in this. We got a reference to him in Homecoming as well with um, 
uh, Donald Glover. Because Donald Glover's character is um, the Prowler, right? Yes, like he yeah. And, Prowler. But I mean, we've already gotten that in into the Spider Verse, right? We're getting across yeah. the Spider Verse soon. Is there going to be some Part crossover one. there? Yeah, like um, I, I think it's a really interesting spot. But I'm with you where it, it could be a good spot. Like Sony put themselves in a good spot where they're like, we could keep going MCU or we could go do our own thing after this, right? Like, and they should keep doing MCU because you yeah. brought up it perfectly with the the Amazing Spider Man. Where when that was rebooted, it I, I kind of felt like people were going through that reboot fatigue at that point, where yeah. like everything people audiences were catching on to the fact that it's like okay, how many times do we have to, like the joke of like, how many times do we have to see Uncle Ben die? Or how many times do we have to go through the origin story yet again? So then when you had the Holland Spider-Man come into Civil War and kind of skip over a lot of that stuff, even though it's still referenced throughout the trilogy and his other appearances in the MCU movies, it kind of felt a little bit fresh and it was able to, again, sort of uh, ignite excitement in people that were maybe kind of feeling a little bit um, burnt out on Spider-Man. Or at least when it came to, like, rebooting him over and over again. And this movie kind of reboots Spider-Man again, yeah. It yeah does. So, While keeping but, all that history and keeping the At least for him. Like, like he'll yeah. have that history, so... And we will as an audience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm talking about, like, in terms of, like, what Sony is going to do, I think they could go either way, but I... I think they would be shooting themselves in, in the foot if they <laughs> yeah. if they went the we're gonna build the Sony verse version Sony Spider Man SSU two um, yeah, yeah I, I think it would be like they already saw when they tried to back out the first time of the backlash and not saying that oh nerds rise up they should get what they want all the time and but, then but I just get the Snyder cut. Yeah. Uh, I would just, I would be shocked if they didn't continue this relationship. Like you got to think like, I don't think these Spider-Man movies make as much money as they do if they're not in the MCU. Right. Like I think it is vital. The MCU is so powerful now. Marvel studios is so powerful now that I just, I don't think you can do it. Like they could get out of the game completely and go, well, should we still, pay 75 and get 75% and let Disney in on this or sell the character back. And I don't think they'll make more money in the long run just by keep going to bed with Marvel studios than selling the character back. I think because, you know, if they're going to make a bill on this movie, like how much is one character worth? Like there could be a time where Sony, you know, there are always rumors that Sony's movie, um, side doesn't make that much money right like and and i could see an asset swap or just like a we're finally selling spider-man back but then we're going to sell our studio to someone else or or i don't know but i don't even know what the terms of these deals are like that's what's confusing to me it's like if they keep making them they keep the rights to it right that's what right. it is it's like is it infinite <laughs> like is it just like as long as you keep making them you have well, the right i think to there's it. yeah i think there's like almost like a period where it's like if you don't make the movie for like five the, years or something the, isn't the it? rights lapse back to the original owners and that's which where, is like, why marvel got daredevil and other things too right yeah and that's also why um 
that's why the Amazing Spider-Man movies were made because Sony didn't want to give up those rights because that was a that was a big deal for them. So they made those movies hesitantly and kind of maybe jumped in head first when you know they should have taken more time in developing the stories, but they were in a rush to keep the rights from reverting back to Marvel. And so for that, like that's you know it is a good bargaining chip. But then also you have to think like okay, how much how much power and clout does someone like tom holland have now yeah. who maybe is somebody that can kind of negotiate on his own and kind of get sony to come back into the marvel fold again because he probably realizes that you know this character and playing this character is most valuable working alongside uh kevin feige and, and marvel studios so, so yeah and- i'm uh, going back to what that original deal was that they made with disney again it was only a two picture mo- uh, deal wasn't it and wasn't it for this movie and one more cameo movie i think i so. saw it and, and then also you have to think as well another thing that'll be interesting moving forward is that john watts is directing fantastic four so and that's where i thought spider-man might show up but maybe gets an internship with you know reed richards or something like that like now that he's a bit older and like I could see Spider-Man being involved there and that would kind of make sense because they wouldn't know any way about Peter Parker and you have him interact with new characters and stuff like that. So like I really could see that happening that you have, you know, Spider-Man shows up as an intern at uh, with Reed Richards and um, or like Spider-Man freshman year, right? Like that animated series, um, is an origin story for the Spider-Man, I think. Right. Which is interesting. Um, and I don't think you, you use Tom Holland, um, as the voice there. I don't think you blow it on that because you probably get the guy who did Peter Parker and what if I'm assuming that's what, who you get for that show. Um, and then to the post-credit scene, uh, there's two of them. Well, uh, one's a post-credit one's a scene, scene and one's, one's a trailer. A trailer. Yeah. Um, which I even think is a throwback as well. Um, reminds me, I remember in the first Captain America movie, we got the trailer for Avengers. We've had this, you know, before in other movies too, but the first sequence, cause you're wondering, you know, the post-credit for Venom for, you know, everyone who fucking went to that movie and let it made too much money. Uh, you get, uh, Tom Hardy, uh, Eddie Brock chilling in Mexico, uh, talking to Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. Um, and it was Danny Rojas, right? I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's kind of going, okay, so in this universe, there's all these super people. They fought an alien who snapped everyone away and everyone went away for five years. So there's like funny MCU references as Tom Hardy's going, what the hell? And then Venom going, Eddie, alien eats brains, not snaps jewels or whatever. Um, and you're like, oh, great. I get to see this fucking Venom again. Great. And then you're worried because you're like, wait, everyone else already left. Is he just like, did he stick around because Doctor Strange didn't know about him uh, or something? Because like, uh, that sucks. <laughs> and and well, then also he says like he wants to go visit Spider-Man, right? Like, yeah, pay him a visit. So, and it's just a red herring. Uh, he gets zapped out of the universe, just like the other villains did. And then it pans to the table and you see a piece of the symbiote um, on the bar table. Will Danny Rojas become the first venom in the MCU? We'll find out. But like, uh, and I leaned over to you and I'm like, fucking perfect <laughs> because right. i 
I was just so thrilled with that because that means we're not getting Tom Hardy in the MCU. It was more just a way to get the symbiote in the MCU, which I think is fantastic. Um, does that mean you still get that Venom voice and stuff like that? I mean, they can fuck around and do whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I love that they did this. Like, it's almost like a Kevin Feige and going, okay, um, we'll take a little bit of the symbiote, but you you can keep him over there. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. Send him back. Like, yeah, it's fine. We don't need to like, we don't need, we don't need that. So you can send him back. Um, I don't know. Will Venom 3 deal with him going, I need to know. I want to get back there because I want to know who that is. Or maybe was that, that wasn't all of Venom, right? That was just a piece of him, right? Of yeah. the symbiote. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I like that introduction because I always loved the black suit Spider-Man story uh, and, and Venom in general. So if we get our own black suit, Tom Hardy, Tom Holland, um, Spider-Man story in the MCU and maybe our own Venom version, uh, Flash Thompson, to say and they or you him. could see Eddie Brock be reintroduced into like I mean like even with um uh Fantastic Four, right? Yeah. I I could almost see like that kind of being something that comes into play if you you mentioned, you know, like he takes an internship with Reed Richards. I could see um uh Brock also working there, Eddie Brock yeah. working there as well and them That's true. Or at the Daily like Bugle that. like in New York though and it's a different version of Eddie Brock here but it's still Tom Hardy. Um I can see that, um, but I would like them to go the Flash Thompson route. If I'm being honest, like uh, I don't know if uh, uh, Tony Revioli, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if he, you know, I think he's got it. I, I would like to see him tackle that. Like I think it unless could be they really change it though and they make it a different character entirely. That's true. Like, There's other people who have been. You know, wasn't Venom J. Jonah and... Jameson's son the one that brought the symbiote back originally? Yeah. So they could do something there since there is a J. Jonah Jameson in this universe. Yeah. So, um, and that to your point would make sense with the Tom Hardy or, or as uh, Eddie Brock or something like they can pick and choose which actors want to be different versions of the characters or whatever. But um, I love that we don't get that version of Venom and that everyone kind of goes back to their own universe right but then that also is breaking a little bit because we talked about earlier being like i thought it was only people who knew peter parker was spider-man that got sucked into the universe why would venom yeah because he only found out about him when he once he was sucked in right yeah yeah is it just because there's a connection there or maybe it thought it was sucking in the uh Topher grace version maybe but then the spell know. got confused and sucked in like that does make sense to me because you got every other villain from those movies other than rhino right like well, um, also harry i think oh I think, yeah i think harry because that would have been i mean you could say oh well we already have one green goblin but and that probably would have opened up another can of worms with just like Toby Maguire. And I mean, they weren't going to obviously going to bring James Franco back, but, um, Dane DeHaan he, though. Yeah. There you go. So like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. But then also going back, the other thing as well with, with, um, Matt Murdoch, it's like, you could also question, it's like, well, why didn't Daredevil show up to help with, you know, the scene at the St- statue of Liberty, you know? Yeah. But is that, 
really been Daredevil's thing, like a big thing like that. Like I think again, I think he is more street own, level. If it's in his own backyard, if it's in Hell's Kitchen, yeah. um, <laughs> he uh, only go. He can. He can. He can't leave Hell's Kitchen. He, that's yeah. The place he to go. me, it would going back to Hawkeye. Like if he doesn't show up in the finale, it would be kind of weird to me. But like, um, we'll see. Um, and then finally, very end of the movie, you're wondering what the post credits is. All the Sony logos come up, and I'm like, oh shit, are we not getting like a post credit scene? Because usually that stuff comes before the Sony logos. Because usually that's like the movie's done. Here's the end of the credits. Pascal Pictures, Sony logo, Columbia Pictures. Bye bye. Um, then you get something where I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. We're getting like a full teaser trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I it was almost too much to take in, Eric. Like at that point, I'm we're like just coming down you're from this high. You're processing the movie. Um, you're like, wow, I don't I don't know how I feel yet, but I feel like overwhelmed almost, like in a good way. Uh, but I don't know what how to feel. The venom scene, I'm like, great get that guy out of here. That's perfect. Uh, and then you get this Dr. Strange trailer. That's about what a minute long, maybe minute yeah. and a half um, teaser trailer. Um, but it introduces a hell of a lot of elements. You see Wanda, they reference Wanda vision. Uh, you see, you know, Dr. Strange, you see uh, what's his name from the first movie. Um, uh, Chuatel Edge of Four, who uh, seems to like be like Baron one of the or, or yeah uh, yeah. Um, again, I'm not the biggest Doctor Strange fan; like, it's pretty low on my MCU ranking. Um, and you see some of uh, uh, just random clips from the movie of Doctor Strange and different elements of Mordo, um, Mordo, Mordo, Baron. and like I think it's Baron Mordo though, or oh, okay. uh, something like that. So we were both right. Um, Anyways, I it was too much to process where I can barely remember what's in it. You see the Chitulu kind of like monster kind of thing or the one eyeball monster from What If. And then I think that's the Sorcerer Supreme version of like Doctor Strange from What If, right? But Yeah, well even, was... the, even the room that they're in at the end is almost like the same room where What If be- – that episode of What If begins, right? Where like he's thinking about – um, the death of Rachel McAdams's character um, on the anniversary. And then, so Tim, when I was DMing with Tim Geddes and with Joey Noel today as well, um, we were talking and he's just like, is that? Because didn't that Doctor Strange become like a good guy in that final episode when when he helps the Guardians of the Multiverse or whatever? And I'm like, but he's still like, he still has all that evil in him from all those things that he like sucked in. Right. And he almost, yeah. And the watcher sent him back to his, his prison. prison, Right. So I could almost see like this disruption of the multiverse. Yeah. Gives him an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even though he helped save the multiverse, like he's still kind of in it for himself. So anyways, we were talking about like the villains kind of complying with Spider-Man at first. Right. Like people, have different facets of their personality where it's and they like might be doing it for themselves, even though they're helping him. the watcher ultimately, like he might have his own motivation. So like, I do still think that it is like, it's very clearly the what if Dr. Strange, he has the same pointy beard and the grayish hair 
and yeah. like well it's almost it, like jet black right and like yeah jet black that's what i meant and like he has that you know the, it looks like the outfit straight from what if and like i'm uh i'm curious to watch it again because like i i barely remember any of it because i was thinking so much about the movie that it was just like and it goes by so quickly where you see wanda and her outfit and you see rachel mcadams you see some people come back and uh you see america chavez um is that her name? No. Yeah, yeah. but I don't. Um, but they haven't really announced who who the character is. It's like, like Ms. America or something. It's a multiverse character, like, um, um, and I know it from the comics a little bit. Um, yeah, but we don't. I don't. I gotta watch that trailer again because, like, I um, because I just I barely could process it in the moment. But um, again, felt like a weird throwback where they're like, oh. We're going to put now you made a good point of being like, well, it's because everyone now has the context of this movie. So this probably won't even be online for a little while. Yeah. And and I think we'll probably see like the trailer probably pop up like early next year and maybe they'll make some announcements of like maybe like the full cast list or something like that. I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where, again, like it, it's almost too much. And like it, there is there is enough of a buffer zone between now and May when it's um, when when Doctor Strange is being released, but it's like to your point, you've just spent all this time with this kind of event movie, and you need kind of a moment to kind of take it all in. And I understand doing the post credit scene is tradition, but it's just weird that it's like. It's like, oh, we're just going to give you this trailer for the movie. and this We're going like, to throw a million things at you. Yeah. Um, and remember Sam Raimi, he directed one of those Spider-Man movies. So um, I think you do get a kind of Raimi uh, kind of, you know, ghost shot in there, which I going to the cabin or something, I forget. But again, it's all kind of a blur. It wasn't um, as like, because I remember, I think, well, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to say Raimi as, but like a lot of the the cast members that have talked a little bit about like what it's been like shooting have all said it's kind of very much a horror movie and i didn't really get like that true kind of like creepy horror movie vibe from the trailer like it's not cut that way it's just well yeah I think... an mcu film yeah so I, I i'd think... be curious to see the like contextually when we do watch the movie to see how much of sam raimi's kind of horror influences are in the film yeah well, that was fun, man. Um, final as kind long of as the movie almost, almost, which makes sense. We talked about yeah. basically every element of it. Um, I'm so excited uh, to see where they go next. I don't know. I guess you like they tease the Venom thing, so you got to think Black Suit Spider Man is where they go next. Um, I mean, you you'd have to think that, but even that, I, I just don't know how you tackle that. With, I mean, Peter has all the memories of of the past. So there could be something interesting to play with there where he goes a, a little bit darker route. If he is the one who ends up, you know, having this, the, the symbiote on him first, but I just want that classic black suit Spider-Man with like, with the big white spider and stuff. Like I love it so much, dude. Sorry, just, um, like you were rubbing just rubbing my nipples. I'm like, I'm so excited. Um, 
where do you think they go next? Just to wrap things up. Like you already kind of touched on it. Like do you, you, you think they're going to make another MCU deal and it's going to stay in they, the MCU. They have to, but it, it will be interesting to see where they go with like, okay, like what villain they'll yeah after this. And you like, got to think Vulture comes back at some point or. Yeah. Know, or, but... or like, are they going to bring in someone like Craven? Um, you know, cause that is like, that's been a character that I think even Tom Holland has said that kind of interested him. Um, and I know that they're doing the Aaron Taylor Johnson, JC Chandor movie, um, which I think is scheduled to probably start shooting probably next year sometime. Mm -hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if that's also just going to be in its own universe or will be connected to starting to break everyone's brain. If you bring him into the MCU, it's crazy. But but his, but his character is so synonymous with spider-man like one of the kind of the the the, the pivotal storylines with that character is, is the him hunt, coming right? to new york yeah. and hunting him down yeah which like, you, it's like what's the point of doing a craven the hunter which i movie? yeah i know um i guess an origin of how you know because craven had to have that thirst from somewhere right so like i i get Craven's that part just a thirst trap thirst boy <laughs> um i see that part but i do agree that you these villain movies just never, never work. Like when have they worked? Like Joker, I know a lot of people hate, but like worked. But Joker is truly part. its own thing. Yeah. Where like even with Venom, like it's still kind of teased that okay, well we can because you have them. to make them the hero kind of thing, and it yeah. just doesn't. It kind of waters just, it down. Like how does like how does like again with 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 Morbius. I'm so we get that in like a month, right? I know that connection (laughs) I've always had with Blade. Blade has always been the character that has been associated with Morbius. Like in the 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 '90s Spider-Man cartoon, it was always like very similar to Craven the Hunter when Morbius kind of starts, you know, feeding on you know people of New York. It prompts Blade to come to New York with Whistler to track morbius down yeah and that was always kind of like the re- the introduction of blade so i don't know really what you like do with this you know jared leto version we get it in literally a month and a half so you don't have long to wait <laughs> you don't have long to wait yeah i hope he shows up in not morbius uh tom holland in like he's got to be in the john watts fantastic four that just makes the most sense like like if you're going to have him in an, another MCU movie and introduce him to this next, you know, phase of the MCU where no one knows him, um, you can start to introduce him with other people. Like I want to see him interact with Kate Bishop and I want to see like, yeah, the fantastic four. Cause that is a big part of Peter Parker's life in the comics as well. Like, I think that stuff's really cool. And just, Maybe even Blade, right? Like mm-hmm. I, like again, like that is a big storyline in the animated '90s cartoon. Yeah. Any other villains like from the '90s cartoon that you think of best Spider-Man villains? Before we wrap things up, we've covered I mean, like Scorpion's the one that kind of they've is, te- like, they've teased already as yeah, well. Right? But then again, you have to think like what version of a villain are they doing? Because like you know they've played with like the lesser ones and sort of like with shocker and the tinkerer and things like that and then they've kind of made fun of you know ones that don't really exist in this world like hydro man and things like that so i i'd love for them i keep going back to this because they they rebooted and he's at that ground level in new york again that i would like to see him he's interacted with so many of the gigantic larger than life he jokes about going to space he 
was part of Endgame kind of thing. Like, put him in that kind of street level of the MCU. Like, have him interact with Kate Bishop. Have him interact with Kingpin. Like, have him interact with Daredevil. Like, that kind of stuff. Introduce a version of the Rhino. Like, do your version of it. Like, that could be kind of... Like, the Rhino is ridiculous, but he is still a little bit more earth level street level then and most spider-man villains kind of are but they get a little ridiculous when you get into an alien like venom or even how they did mysterio was so perfect vulture was a great version morbius is up there so morbius and, and craven who they're kind of wasting on these origin movies that um not even origin movies just like anti-hero movies that i'm not quite sure because they never Do you bring go Punisher full. back in to, to the fold at that, and that's what well? I mean. Like I think it you makes go... sense because they both auditioned as well together. Like they they both shot each other's uh, John Burke. Yeah, I remember they're like Colin. kind of friends, aren't they? Yeah. Or they kind of know each other. Scorpion would be one that you don't use. Chameleon, which I think could be really interesting. Um, Mister Negative that I I talked about, which they've introduced Feast. So maybe Peter continues to volunteer at Feast because in in May's memory, because he knows about it. Um, uh, I think that could be really interesting. Um, so there are still more people that uh, Hobgoblin. Like if you sort of do that, Tombstone is on this. Um, the Jackal uh, is the Jackal the guy who does the Clone Saga. Is that um. I forget, but there's like, there's a whole clone saga in Spider-Man, which we haven't really seen in any movie with Ben Riley and like all the clones of Peter Parker. And like, um, do they go that crazy again? Like right away, like there's superior Spider-Man, which is an awesome storyline where Doc Ox, like basically him and Peter Parker switch places and Doc Ock's brain goes into Peter Parker's body and then he becomes the superior Spider-Man where he's like I'm going to like I'm going to be the ultimate not I keep using these words that are describers for different versions of Spider-Man like ultimate Spider-Man but he's going to be superior the best Spider-Man he's like and he does like he's just more vicious and he's like but he's also the best version that Spider-Man could ever be because Doc Ock's smarter than Peter Parker and things like that. That whole storyline is really, really interesting. That I could know, be a what if episode though, I think as well, where like I see them being like, okay, we'll do superior s- Spider-Man in, yeah. in that. But the clone saga, I think could be really interesting, but once you start incorporating, I know some people hate the clone saga, but um, I think it's like an iconic nineties Spider-Man story. Um and uh or do you have them incorporated into into Spider Verse? I think could be interesting too, right? Yeah, and then also um, you got to think about like what are the other um anti-hero movies that that Sony has been trying to develop. Madam Web keeps coming up, which I think Madam Web would actually fit perfectly within the multiverse stuff that's happening right now. Well, that's kind of what it is, right? So maybe yeah. this is going to kick off with Venom and Morbius. And um, and the other Sony Spider-Man universe, whatever they call it, like um, th- that could Madam Web could you incorporate that because she usually controls like the Spider-Man universe kind of thing. From my understanding, I'm not super familiar uh, with her, but um, I because know. I think Olivia Wilde was attached to direct the film at one point, and then also there was the Black Cat movie that they were trying to do as well, and. Yep, I think you like you probably incorporate now 
Like, I don't know if Zendaya wants to come back or if she'll be part of it, but um, you might incorporate a new love interest for Peter Parker moving forward. Do you introduce a Gwen Stacy? Do you introduce a Felicia Hardy? Um, like, I'm not quite sure. Um, like, and then the Norman Osborn stuff, we know that that there isn't a Norman Osborn in the MCU. So you can kind of go a different route there as well. Right. But um, yeah, the Jackal. I mean, maybe Norman Osborn will be um, uh, Dr. Doom in this. If yeah. Do the fantastic four. See, thing. Yeah. That could be interesting. Right. Like there's stuff there that like you and the MCU is known to kind of combine multiple characters. Right. Like, but, or Victor Von Doom might just also be like a fantastic four and Spider-Man villain because of, uh, you know, you have to change that up. You've seen Dr. Doom twice now and two failed talk about, you know, two failed franchises and um, not saying that the Raimi movies were a fail, but um, John Watts coming in and doing a third version of Spider-Man. Uh, now he's coming in and doing a third version of Fantastic Four. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, the Jackal was the villain that, you know, starts cloning people. <laughs> and I just don't know if they go the clone route. I wouldn't put it past them like the mcu you'd buy it um because you know there's aliens and shit so cloning actually makes more sense than that but um really really curious and excited uh, to see where they would go next because i honestly thought that this would be like i thought they'd leave it in a point that feels like this is the end of tom holland as spider-man uh i really kind of thought that i know he's young enough still and like he could make you know if he wants to keep making bank like this is going to be his, you know, make three to five more of these things. And you're, I mean, he's already set for life, but. Um, well, he, just... I mean, a lot of people, I, I don't, he doesn't have the, he, I mean, not that I'm saying that Robert Downey Jr. is the, the world's greatest actor. Or like, you know, like Downey was on an interesting trajectory kind of coming back before Iron Man, but Holland never really had that. But now you look at like, if Holland signs another deal and does another three movies and then makes appearances he'll basically become the 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 new robert downey jr iron man who continually is doing these movies and sort of is um a main figurehead uh within the mcu yeah but i mean i i think not only him like you see other legacy characters that have stuck around for 10 Chris plus hemsworth, years right Brian. hemsworth is still there uh even mark ruffalo as bruce banner like in the hulk like it seems like he's gonna continue moving forward who have been there even longer than um than holland so it's interesting to see who sticks with it and who goes you know i i've i'm good like did marissa tomei was she maybe one of the people who was like i mean you can marissa topay me but like i'm i might just I might be good. You, I don't know if I need to come back for any more of these. Right. Um, who knows? I mean, it so. is an easy paycheck for a lot of these like really talented character actors and sort of like, again, you know, movie stars that are in different parts of their career now where like, I wonder like, yeah, it's, it's probably fun doing scenes with, you know, like Alfred Molina and, and, and Marissa Tomei have worked together before, but like seeing, uh, Marissa Tomei and, and Willem Dafoe together was was kind of interesting and like that because they know, haven't worked together no they mm -hmm. haven't and so like that kind of stuff I think is worthwhile to the actors on top of being paid well but at the same time it's like if you're giving me not a lot to do with the character it, it's probably just 
becomes a job for them. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, well, you know, maybe Marissa Tomei wants to go and do some other stuff now. And oh, I don't, I, that's what I mean. Like it could have been her decision. It could have been, you know, theirs telling her, maybe she would have done more, but um, anyways, I'm pumped, man. What a movie. Um, I'll reiterate how much I loved it from the review, but um, just, you know, how much I love the MCU, how much I love this character and how much I love superhero movies and like how much it did for all of those things um, makes it, you know, one of my favorite movies of the year, if not my favorite movie of the year, if not one of my favorite MCU movies, if not my favorite MCU movie, I'm still like waiting to see it more and see how it sits with me. And, you know, again, my MCU rankings always shift around a bit when I do uh, rewatches and like, uh, I'll be eager to do a rewatch. And now I'm going to be a madman and go, I got to watch the Raimi movies and the, and the web movies, like part of my MCU rewatch now, because technically they're kind of part of it. So, um, you know, that adds five more movies on top of this, if not Venom as well. And other and DC next year has uh, Flashpoint. a Flashpoint movie. Yeah. So I'm still sitting on it. Can't wait to watch it again. Um, but as of right now, I have it in like number two behind Endgame where I, I think Endgame to me just so perfectly. It's both number two in my MCU and in my Spider-Man rankings. Because like... I love Into the Spider-Verse so much, which I think is like almost a perfect movie um, that I think it is one of the best superhero movies, one of just one of my favorite movies. And then uh, I think that this could be my favorite live action Spider-Man, although I really love Homecoming for a lot of those reasons that I said with being a little bit of a smaller, more grounded New York based Spider-Man story. And then Spider-Man two for nostalgia reasons reasons and then you kind of get you know one the amazing movies um and things like that wrapped around that and then the mcu i think recency bias comes into it when you're ride, riding off of a high um which i think is still why i have endgame so high in infinity war like they just feel like massive movies those mixed with like infinity war endgame and this movie are the three biggest marvel movies i'd say uh, and they happen to be the most impactful to me and the, the ones I enjoy the most just because like, I don't know, it just, it's just the culmination of many, many years of storytelling. Um, but then you get into personal favorites like Thor Ragnarok, Iron Man 3, different things like that. But um, I'm just so fucking thrilled with this movie. I can't wait to see it again with the crowd. Are you going to go see it again with the crowd? Yeah, I'm going to see it with uh, my brother Kyle when he comes back, uh, when he comes home for the holidays uh, from Vancouver. Um, nice. Yeah, so. How I'm are you feeling ranking wise right now with this? Because I know it's, you do an MCU probably, ranking. Yeah, it's and... probably like right now it's at six. It's pretty um, high, pretty high. Yeah, I still think uh, I like Homecoming the most in terms of. I, I totally like understand that. Yeah. Three. Um, and again, like I, I, I think I, I still think Spider Man Two is probably my favorite overall um, of all the Spider Man movies. But then, I think Spider Verse is starting to kind of creep up on that, and like it just did something really unique with the medium in a way that uh, yeah, that's um, why it's complements comic books and then also kind of expands upon them. And that's why I like this movie as well, quite a bit where like it plays with the mythology and the legacy 
of you know again almost 20 years and i mean the amazing spider-man's almost 10 um it'll be 10 next year Um, (laughs) it's ridiculous and so i remember being at comic-con watching the hall h footage for that movie and just being so stoked (laughs) yeah and 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 so like when you're you're thinking about that um it's interesting where like i think it builds on the bones of your expectations and you know those kind of warm feelings that you have when seeing you know someone like toby Maguire show up and it does more with it to flesh out certain character beats and storylines than say ghostbusters afterlife where i was completely kind of like against you know it being just bringing back legacy characters just for that yeah yeah and 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 not giving them forcing things and it's i mean even with stranger things a little bit where it's like it kind of hinges on your nostalgia but it never really builds upon it it never it never really creates more than just that feeling of oh i remember that time or i was around at that period and i remember seeing the first spider-man movie at you know the amc and whitby and and just remembering how much of a, a an event it was to see Spider-Man in a live action movie for the first time. But it does that and then it adds to it in terms of like where I think that's why is, I love it, yeah. Is gone, you know, like over the years. And so that's why I think I like it more. Like again, I love I, I defend Spider-Man two as well. I still think a lot of people think it's one of the best superhero movies of all time. I think it is kind of of its time, but I still uh I still think it holds up. Like, I still think it, it's a banger. Like, I would still put it, you know, number four or something in my in my ranking. I mean, those soundtracks like, as well. From the yeah, <laughs> we kept, yeah, we kept joking about that. I was listening to Hero and Vindicated, uh, Hero by Chad Kroger and Josie Scott, Vindicated by Dashboard Confessional, and, and like going to the other stuff. I will say that these Spider-Man movies have the best soundtrack for sure. The John Watts ones, just because like it's legitimately good music i like laughing at the music from the original ones and they're very you know nostalgic although i I will say it's it's michael giacchino right oh the score yeah sure i mean i mean the soundtrack not necessarily the score because i think danny elfman's score uh way more iconic than any of the giacchino scores in the in the amazing or in the uh the mcu the home trilogy um like I, I don't mind that like the the MCU Spider Man theme, but it never really like completely clicked with me. Like I don't no. like I think the Spider Man one and I barely remember it's James Horner who did the amazing ones or no? I it um, might have been. It would probably be one of his last too. Before he passed away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really love the Danny Elfman score. Um, for oh, me. it's, it's great. And I it's think one you of get his like last a, good scores too. Yeah. And you get a little bit of it in this movie, right? Like they don't bring back the themes per se, but no, um, it is, uh, who did the music? Yeah. James Horner did the music and that would have been in 2012. Um, which I forget when James Horner passed away, 2015. Um, so his last scores were Amazing Spider-Man. Then he goes into Southpaw and The Magnificent Seven was his last score, um, which is unfortunate. But um, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, James Horner's 
theme, I I don't remember that much either. But like, and I'd say the music in this is good. Um, but I and I love Michael Giacchino, and just as an end cap, not to end on a negative note or anything, but like, um, what's funny about Giacchino is that he did the Doctor Strange one score. He is being replaced by Danny Elfman in multiverse of madness which is interesting elfman coming back to reteam with raimi uh giacchino also did the scores of spider-man he did the score to star wars he, another mcu too didn't he or he just got announced to be doing thor yeah Love thunder and then he and, also did, i think my favorite stuff from him is the planet of the apes movies those are great the lost score is great the mission impossible three score is great um and i think he did them up until recently um but his early stuff when he's with lost and and moving after that and he had a very you know even uh, with pixar right like, yeah he did a lot of pixar like stuff now he's just in bed with disney and he does a lot of disney stuff which is like fine he's just but... spreading himself so thin that it's almost like what again it's like danny elfman it's like danny elfman kind of lost what made him him after or around that time where it's like that kind of like early punk rock kind of sensibility kind of was diluted over time and i almost feel like giacchino is just kind of you know taking on maybe too many projects and it's like it's just it's just a shame that it's like there there are so many other composers, composers out there right that it's like they could add something to the film and it could sound unique and kind of give something a little bit more and i'm not saying that it's not a bad score it's just it's not memorable yeah in, in any real way i absolutely agree because i feel like you know he took off with lost i feel like and then he started doing film scores like he did you know the incredibles and uh which i guess was his first big movie score but then um after mission impossible three that's when he did ratatouille cloverfield speed racer star trek up land of the lost let me in cars 2 super 8 50 50 ghost protocol john carter into darkness star trek into darkness dawn of the planet of the apes jupiter ascending tomorrowland jurassic world inside out zootopia star trek beyond doctor strange rogue one uh, the Book of Henry, <laughs> um, Spider-Man Homecoming, War for the Planet of the Apes, Coco, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Bad Times at the El Royale, Far From Home, Joe, uh, Jojo Rabbit, uh, American Pickle, uh, Extinct, uh, Let Him Go, Spider-Man No Way Home, and then next year he has The Batman, another superhero, uh, yeah. another iconic superhero. We just talked about Batman and Spider-Man, Jurassic World again, and then Thor Love and Thunder, another new superhero that he's doing. So I'm with you. Like I was, I love Michael Giacchino, but when I heard him get announced for Thor Love and Thunder, and even in the Spider-Man movie, I'm excited to see it a second time because I'll pay more attention to things like the score and, and different things like that. Cause I don't have to be like, what's coming next. Um, but Mark Mothersbaugh, right. Um, yeah. did the score for, uh, Thor Ragnarok. And, um, uh, you know, I love his scores that he do. He does with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I think he has a very, Wes Anderson you know, back Wes Anderson, yeah. Like his synthy kind of fun sound to it. Like I, I really like his sound and I, 
he is one of those guys that brings something unique to a score. So when you go, oh, now I get that YTT worked with him on Jojo Rabbit, so he must have liked working with him, so he brought him back. But I'm like, fucking Giacchino, like, I love him. I think he's great. But, like, I'm like, he's done, like, three other Marvel heroes already, and he's doing the Batman, and he's done Jurassic Park and Star Wars. And I'm like, uh, like, which I are both John Williams, you know, iconic properties like um and i get that that's who he's maybe kind of imitating a little bit at times but um even there's more people outside of of han zimmer and giacchino and even i mean as much as i still i'm still um completely down with trent reznor and atticus ross it's just like they're kind of even yeah getting a little no i i still love them i do i do but 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 i'm still i'm still worried that it's like like okay we need something that's like slightly even with johnny greenwood it's like mm-hmm. he had three movies this year right so yeah we need something like slightly unsettling or kind of that that sounds you know disjointed in some way okay well let's get you know uh Reznor and ross or or um johnny greenwood and you know like it's just it's it's just a shame that like you know when it comes to um productions choosing composers that it's that, that the it seems like it's like five or six people. And then every now and then Mika Levy will do something. Um, Jay Wadley actually did the score uh, for Swan Song, the Mahershala Ali movie. That check out Apple. the conversation we did with him right on this channel. Just go yeah, back. For, I'm thinking bit. of ending things, uh, which was really good. Like again, not a lot in terms of like original stuff, but yeah, I like it, people like that. Give those guys a shot, right? Yeah. Like bring in other people with unique sounds. I don't want to end on a negative note. Cause obviously we're very positive. We've done two hours and 45 minutes of, no, it's longer than the movie. <laughs> um, and Giacchino's great, and his score is good here. I just don't – I got to go back and listen to it again. I can't wait till it's available somewhere. Anyways, uh, if you guys couldn't tell, love the MCU, love Spider-Man. Can't wait to see where it goes next. We'll continue composer talk on the main show or something like that or maybe have a separate conversation about who are the best composers working today and who we would like to see on different things. Because, yeah, Elfman, a legend, but – if you look at what he's done recently, I was like, oh my God, he did that movie. Oh, um, I mean, the 50 Shades films are, are the ones that are most telling. <laughs> yeah. He's doing it for the paycheck now. Um, thank you all for listening. Let us know what you think of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, either on the comments right here on YouTube or send us a tweet. Um, we'll plug those later or go to our letterbox and let us know there, which is untitled underscore movies. That's probably your best one-stop shop for everything. If you want conversations, reviews, the main show, that's all posted over on letterbox. So head over there. Uh, we have a ton of other reviews that you guys can check out. I know you just listened to two hours and 45 minutes of Spider-Man. If you want another 45 minutes, uh, you can go listen to our spoiler free review which maybe you already have, and thank you if you have. But we will also have reviews up. Uh, we have one up right now for Don't Look Up, the Adam McKay film. Um, so go check that out. Uh, Benedetta, uh, The Kingsman should be up pretty soon. Uh, the Lost Daughter, Nightmare Alley, Red Rocket, Being the Ricardos, Licorice Pizza, Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, The Matrix Resurrections, um, The Tender Bar, and and more. Um, so lots and lots of content uh, filling up the rest of the year. 
Um, I think that's it. As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all the social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Uncle Eric. You can follow... Uh... Bader! <laughs> you... <laughs> that's a Nick Scarpino thing. <laughs> Go listen to their in-review series. Uh, you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at em6211. Until next time. Peter, it's me, Flint Marco! <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!